Division Champion, Sergeant Slaughter versus the Big news, lads. My uh, my Bad Bunny t-shirt's finally been dispatched. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I bought that on the 1st of February. Wow. They've had, they've had a big demand for it. Is it a WWE one? Yeah. And has yeah. it, it got the fact that he's a 24-7 champion on it? I mean, I don't imagine it has because it was before he won it. Yeah, right? I know. So I bought it before he was champion, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Which one did you buy? Uh, the, it's the Royal Rumble one. So, I, you know, I can't even fucking remember now. Oh, is, it, is it the one where he's doing the splash? No, no, it was before. It was another one. Fucking uh, hell, they really are cashing in on that little. Uh... The thing is, though, he's he's genuinely like one of the biggest pop stars in the world. So it's, oh, I'm it's, sure, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's not a surprise they're trying to cash in on it because they're like, this is a fucking get. The only thing I will say, I mean, obviously it's a get from that. Obviously it's a get from that perspective because they're selling it even to you. So you know, somebody's probably not bought any WWE merchandise in fucking years. Even you mm. bought that, so they're obviously making something out of it. But in terms of actually watching wrestling shows, I can't imagine it's increasing their viewership. I can't imagine anybody would increase their viewership just because they're a celebrity these days. It just doesn't seem. In fact, I don't think it ever has done, to be honest. I think probably Mike Tyson is about the only one that's ever increased eyes on a product, ever, I would have thought. I I would say Kid Rock, WrestleMania 25, definitely. Oh, I'll tell you what, that was one of the best strategically timed piss breaks I think yeah. I've ever had in my life. It's wonderful. Let me tell you, I, I met Kid Rock in um, BCM nightclub in Magaluf. One year. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's genuinely, it's genuinely fucking Kid Rock was in there. And I, 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 it was, it was really weird because he was literally like still on his own. And I did think for a second it could. I wonder if it's like I don't know, like some weird Kid Rock impersonator. It was legitimately him. I went over, shook his hand, said hello, walked off, and then, uh, then <laughs> find out a few years later that he's a terrible man. Is he? Yeah, awful. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. My knowledge of Kid Rock doesn't go past the fact that he performed at WrestleMania 25. He's a big MAGA guy. I think uh, Big Magaluf or Big uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Imagine if that was it. He was just confused all along. It's like, yeah, look at Maga, Maga, and you're like, what, what, what are these weird mental racists doing around me? <laughs> Magaluf. <laughs> I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> that's great. Welcome once more to the Random Wrestling Review, and we have reached WrestleMania season. Over the next three weeks, we will be looking at WrestleMania shows from years gone by to get you into the mood for this year's edition of the granddaddy of them all. Today, we are looking at WWE's tasteful Gulf War tie-in, WrestleMania 7, featuring a main event of the turncoat, Sergeant Slaughter defending his world title against American hero Hulk Hogan. No doubt, there will be plenty to unpick today. 
I'm Ben Spindler, and here to help me wade through this WrestleMania period, firstly, I have the oft-referred-to old man who's been known to indulge in a little bit of hyperbole from time to time, and when it's put to him that he has made such an exaggeration, has a tendency to become abusive. But we won't hold that against him for too long. It's Sam Carey. Sam, how the hell are you? Hello, Ben. I'd like to argue with what you've said, but you're <laughs> bloody right. So, yeah, yeah, I, I'm excited to, be, excited to be in WrestleMania season. I feel like the road that we travelled was decent, but now we're on the highway. We've got three service stops, as you say, and then we'll be at this year's main event, which we will be covering. Definitely. But, but <laughs> I, I may watch in person. So enjoy it. Strap in. Indeed, indeed. And, and obviously, you know, we will, we, will, we will definitely not be covering this year's WrestleMania, but you should enjoy it all the same. Um, also joining us is a gentleman who doesn't have a nickname with which to help me make an introduction for him each week and who will no doubt be giddy at the prospect of reviewing a show which is from his favourite time period, 1987 to 1992. So expect a happy-go-lucky Tom Smith. How are you? Oh, mate, I'm on, I'm on the road to WrestleMania as well. I've got a top day and I've got some hauler notes on in the background, just palm trees lined either side of the boulevard that I'm driving down, and I'm having a lovely time with it. Hall and Oates. Interesting choice, that one. Oh, I love, mate, I love a bit of Hall and Oates. I always quite often have to, whenever we refer to Hall and Nash, have to think about what I'm going to say before I say it. So I will quite <laughs> often say Hall and Oates when referring to the Outsiders. I think Hall and Oates would have probably been less damaging to WCW in the long run, I think. <laughs> Probably, although their musical takes their musical choices in general WWE cost them an awful lot of money. They spent like huge mm-hmm. amounts of money on Kiss and Master P and the No Limit Soldiers and 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 Megadeth and all kinds of people. Do you reckon someone suggested Hall of Notes to open one of their pay per views and uh, Eric Bischoff went booking said I can't go for that. <laughs> Anyway, before we get started on today's show, just one small request. If you have enjoyed and are enjoying this show, please give us a rating and a review on your podcasting app of choice. It's very much appreciated every time, helps us reach more people, and most importantly, means a lot when people say nice things. So, WrestleMania 7. Um, Let's start with overall thoughts on the pay-per-view, this first WrestleMania on the road to WrestleMania. Old man, let's start with you. Your overall thoughts on the show. Hmm. Well, Superstars in Stripes was the moniker they gave it. Superstars in Strap-Ons would have been fucking better because some of these <laughs> poor guys get absolutely fucked over on this show. Some of the undercard is absolutely rotten. It's, uh, it, well, one, it was surprisingly long. I, I think, uh, I don't know whether you boys were caught off by this, but it's just over three and a half hours, which at this point in time seemed awfully long. But uh, there's some nice nostalgia, but as uh, as I think the list all realise, it's not the best show. Mm, interesting. Bringing the energy early, I see, old man. <laughs> yes, always energy. And Tom, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I'll be honest. I, I actually quite enjoy it. There's a few bits that have aged horribly, and not just in reference to um, in reference to the, the Gulf War, which I remember watching this at the time, and. Uh, and not realising that there was a golf war and genuinely thinking it was something to do with the sport golf um, <laughs> until until I think my dad or my mum explained to me what the golf was and what was going on. Um, so you can imagine that as a, as a six-year-old six turning seven, it would have been a very confusing time for me. But, um, you know, you know, I'm always going to have a slightly higher opinion of these cards than, than you boys will simply because of the of the time period of it. But I, I quite enjoyed it. Old man stated credit is long. I looked at I looked at it. I was like, I'm, I'm ready for a nice, lovely two hours and 45 minutes. 
worth of people, you know, lockdown three and a half hours. So I was like, oof. Um, but it was still great and I still enjoyed it. But there are some damning moments in this pay-per-view. I'm not going to be able to get over the Gulf Wars. That's going to be uh, that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be a new favourite thing for me to remember. Um, yeah, I I have to echo your sentiments. I think that had it been two hours and forty five minutes, i.e., they'd snipped a load of the chaff away here, we'd have had a very nice little uh, we'd have had a very nice little show. But unfortunately, it is three and a half hours long, and I actually felt quite like tom did about living dangerously about this show which was just it was just so long just so long it just went on forever and there were just so many matches uh to get through so um yeah I, I pretty much align with you guys basically in terms of my feelings but we will we will get we'll see what happens who knows maybe our our opinions will diverge a little bit as we go through the show um do you think there could be a potential heel turn by one of us and we'll side with sergeant slaughter Maybe, maybe there will yeah. be a turncoat am- amongst us. Who knows? Yes. What will their fictional army rank be if that happens? Uh, old man of the sea. I'll be if I turn heel on your asses. <laughs> old yeah. man of the sea, Kerry. Yeah. Can we not just call you Admiral Kerry? Old, old seaman Kerry, we'll call me. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, but he ain't a fucking admiral. Like I've got, I've got a very okay. high opinion of old man, but he ain't an admiral. At very best, he's a lieutenant. Oh, that's, that's I'll be honest. Much. I don't really know the ranks, but you're out of line. Well, all I know is that all I know is that Blackadder was a sergeant. So, and you're not Blackadder. Sorry, mate. Aren't I? <laughs> I know that the American ranks are different to the British ones, and also, obviously, Sergeant Slaughter and and, um, and sorry, General General Adnan are part of the Iraq Army. So I don't know. They must have an entirely different um kind of ranking system so who knows what lieutenant is lieutenant might be the king of all iraq for all you know it's yeah. not but you never know um so to get to the show we start with willie nelson's uh, rendition of america the beautiful um tom any thoughts on this one he was very confused by what he was wearing i think because <laughs> yeah. he he's wearing, he's wearing a wrestlemania 7 hulkamania t-shirt or a long sleeve t-shirt my ad um he's got a hulk hogan bandana on, which I thought was particularly interesting because Hulk Hogan doesn't wear his Hulk Hogan bandana in this show. He wears a stars, uh, he wears an American flag bandana, but he's also my my favourite touch: Bret Hart sunglasses over the bandana, which makes me believe that if someone said to him, "Put this Hulk Hogan stuff on," and Willie Nelson's been like, "I'm not wearing that fucking shit. Give me the Hitman," and he's put the glasses on over the top because Willie Nelson's a real fucking guy. Um, the, the Hitman glasses aren't pink though, which I was I was I was even questioning whether they were actually Hitman glasses. Oh, they were. If they weren't, they were. Um, <laughs> so did he sing America the Beautiful or did he sing Star Spangled Banner? He sang America the Beautiful. Yeah. Did he? So he did do that. Because I was listening to it and I wasn't, I'll be honest, I wasn't really paying attention to this because I thought, wow, that's really enough. Son. And there was a bit at the end of it where I was like, hang on, what's going on here? I've got my, and I got myself all confused. Uh, but it's good to know that he did sing the proper song. So I thought maybe they'd announced him to sing America the Beautiful and he started singing the Star Spangled Banner and I just got myself a little bit confused but I'm glad to hear that that wasn't the case. You missed out as part of his uh, get up as well you missed out the fact that he was wearing a very cheap looking foam championship belt around his waist. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh Willie, Willie the Champ Nelson they call him. Oh man any other thoughts than that? This is my favourite rendition of America the Beautiful ever on a Wrestlemania. You're out. You're out. You're not allowed. No one's allowed to be better than Ray Charles. It's not allowed. It's, it's officially uh, not Ray, allowed. Ray Charles ain't fit to lick Willie Nelson's dick because <laughs> Willie Nelson. Walk, 
he walks out there as if he's just walked off the street, grabs the mic, does his voice is incredible. It's effortless. Is is like the only person that could have topped him is if it was Marvin Gaye led on a chaise lounge, or <laughs> however you fucking say it, just singing away into a little stick mic. It's beautiful. What I a think, man. I think you'll find it's called the Chasey Longuey, old man. Oh, that's it. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Um, Willie <laughs> Full Nelson. <laughs> Um, he also does a cappella, doesn't he? He's not got any yeah. like music going, which is re- it is pretty impressive. It's better that, that that's the only thing that makes it maybe better than Ray Charles is he does it without any backing music. Ray Charles is a beautiful singer, but he over eggs the pudding. With Willie Nelson, there are no eggs, there's no pudding, it's just him. Empty <laughs> bowl, lovely old job. <laughs> well, he, he over eggs the pudding because he can't see what he's putting in there. <laughs> Oof. Oh, okay, that's that's an edit then. We've started well today. We've started well. That's not that's going in, mate. Fuck off. Yeah, we we can all say that Tom Smith hates the blind. <laughs> um, yeah, I tell you what, who also didn't have a uh, who didn't have a backing track thinking. Who's that? Big uh, Think WrestleMania one. That's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, and and that's he lovely. managed it. He managed it almost as expertly as Willie Nelson. It's got to be said. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> I think actually he sings the Star Spangled Banner though. Obviously. So you got the wrong song. <laughs> well, I just think they hadn't established the, the, the tradition by that point. So then we have Jim Duggan's music comes on because he's kind of joined Gorilla Monsoon on commentary for just the opening match. Obviously Jesse Ventura no longer with the company. Um, Tom was almost orgasmic in the in the, his facial expression just then. What, no. what was that all about? No, it's not orgasmic. When fucking he came out on commentary, my stomach dropped. I was <laughs> like, oh. God, please don't let me have to listen to three hours of Hacksaw Jim Duggan talking absolute shit. Thankfully, we didn't. Um, no, and didn't. to be honest, I actually didn't think he was. A, he wasn't as dread. He wasn't as dreadful as I thought he was going to be. He was better, significantly better than the bar that I'd set for him, which was worse than Roddy Piper. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, we got to hear Jim Duggan's entrance music. So, oh yeah, and he's that. got. An incredible two by four, which is patriotic and it's got a little, from memory, a little American bow tie on it, but <laughs> drawn on it. And it's, and I also, I mean, we'll, we'll get into the match that you commentate on. I'll be honest, I thought his commentary is pretty bloody good. I thought it was fine. I was, yeah. I was like, I, to be honest, put him on commentary. At least it means he doesn't have to wrestle. I'd be quite happy with that. Ho! So the first match is, a, is due to happen. But before that, we have a backstage interview. So we've already had America the Beautiful. We've already had this segment with Gorilla Monsoon and Jim Duggan. And then we get a backstage interview to start the show with Sean Mooney interviewing the Rockers backstage. Jeanette, he says the Rockers have been overcoming the odds since the beginning of time, which is quite <laughs> a bold claim, it's got to be said. Um, any, any other thoughts on the uh, backstage interview here? Sean Michael's hair is stunning. It's absolutely magnificent. It doesn't, it doesn't again... Someone with long hair, it doesn't move. It's wonderful. But that's all I got. It's quite what, thick, isn't it? That's the thing. It's quite thick. And it just sort of stayed. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. Sorry. What struck me as well is that they've got identical hair. No, no, no. One of them's blonde. The other one is not yeah, blonde. Well, that's that's what I was just going to say. One of them's blonde. One of them's, then they've got something for everyone. Those rockers, those sexy rockers. It also maybe re- reminded me of that, uh, that T-shirt that I had that I loved, uh, that I threw up over. <laughs> I mentioned on a previous episode. It's gonna be sad thinking about it because that was a good T-shirt. 
Indeed, I can't remember what episode it was that you mentioned that before, but there's a lovely little story about that in one of our previous episodes. So if you haven't heard it, go back and check it out. What I realized during this um, interview was what a shit name The Rockers is. Like, I, I was like, how shit is that name? Like, I've just been brought up on it, so I've never questioned it before. But then I was like, The Rockers? That's crap. It's such a bad name. I, could, I was, yeah, it was like a revelation to me whilst I was watching it. <laughs> well, I, I suppose they do dress a little bit like like people like David Lee Roth and that cunt from um, Europe or whatever his name is. I can't remember his name. But yeah, they, they do kind of dress like late 80s, early 90s rock bands, like Motley Crue. It's, it's not and all the, those it's, scumbags. It's not the extent to which it suits their character. It's just a shit name. It just is a shit name. I can't like. It, I can't think of a an, a, an equivalent. But it'd be like the rappers. Like if there were two like yeah. rapping rapping characters and they came down and they were the rappers. Like it's just a shit name. That, that's that, that's what they should have called John Cena and Paul Buchanan's tag team. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely got would have got more over if they were yeah. called the rappers. They, they probably would have been, but Bobby uh, Cannon would still have turned out to be the marginality of that pairing as well. So then we get the opening match of the show finally. It's last 10 minutes. It sees the Rockers take on Haku and the Barbarian, and the Rockers win when Michaels pins Barbarian after a flying cross body. Old man, why don't we start with your thoughts on this match? The first thing is, obviously, we kind of touched on this in the previous episode with ring music, Haku and the Barbarian. Poor fuckers don't get an entrance, which is a bit sad, really. That's the jobber but, entrance. That's what that's called. Yeah, job. yeah. On the plus side, the rockers' music is a bit of a banger, and I kind of forgotten, but it really gets the blood pumping round your body. And uh, I thought it was a fine match. It made me realise like, the hot tag that Shawn Michaels gets once Shawn Michaels is in there. Fuck me, like just like call the whole thing off. Just call the whole show off. To be honest. <laughs> Because he is unbelievable. And I think, that, like, somehow, even though he's described as being one of the best ever, whenever I watch his stuff, I always think he's still undersold as well. He is unbelievable. And a little note on Haxel's commentary is that he sets it up lovely at the start by just saying that it's a contrast of styles and that you've got the high flyers against the, uh, the strong lads. I might be paraphrasing there. But, uh, yeah, I just thought... I thought just a lovely little starter. I tell you what, the strong lads would have been yeah. a better tag team name than the <laughs> Rockets. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I thought this match was fine. I, I, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate, you know, I didn't dislike it. It was thoroughly entertaining. Um, always likes to see the Barbarian in there. love a bit of the Barbarian. I just wish he was, uh, I prefer Powers of Pain Barbarian, if I'm being honest, to, uh, <laughs> to, to an actual Barbarian. As he is then. Always good to see Haku as well. Good wrestler. Always been a good wrestler. Um, yeah, just a fun match. It was yeah, nothing special, but that it didn't need to be for the opening match for this pay-per-view. And like old man said, the hot tag is, is great as well in this match. It really the crowd go bananas, I think Gorilla Monsoon says. And if he didn't say that, then it's the sort of thing he would say. It's becoming a recurring theme, your you know, your your yearning for the powers of Pain Barbarian. We keep seeing him in all of his yeah. various guises. We've seen him as one of the head shrinkers, and you're just not getting what you want, are you, are you Tom? It's quite upsetting. Um, I thought this was really good. I've become quite a fan of opening matches. I've no, I've realised as we go through this, um, as we go through this podcast, like I really enjoyed the fast lane opener. I really enjoyed the No Way Out. 2000 opener i really enjoyed uh, the opener to the rumble 92 I, I and i really enjoyed this and i thought there was interesting there was a couple of missteps i thought during this match from janetti he seemed to be a bit out of it i don't know what was going He's on but he just, 
he didn't at least he's not on the gack like we've uh, we've alleged yeah. a number of people in the past yeah he just seems a bit of a step off occasionally but it doesn't affect the quality the it, the it almost actually seems to fit the match like it feels a little bit a little bit unmet a little bit messy but in a good way it, it works for some reason you're right about michael he's phenomenal and uh yeah just a really decent little opener to start things off and at this point i'm like right okay maybe wrestlemania 7 is going to be something with a little bit more specialness although to be honest i kind of knew what was to come so um i don't know why i thought that after this we had a backstage interview with uh, where mean gene oakland was with regis philbin marla maples and alex trebek the co-hosts of wrestlemania so the the hosts theme began way earlier than i remember Oakland mentions that Regis is beautiful during this. He says, Regis, you are beautiful. Um, and then he goes on about Marla Maples being also very attractive. Marla Maples, out of interest, is the second wife of Donald Trump. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I did not know that. Interesting little fact. Um, any thoughts on this one, old man? Well, one, Regis is, and we get a little treat later. He is such a pro. Absolute dynamite. He is terrified of earthquake, apparently. And there's a little Pizza Hut nod. So if Pizza Hut are listening, we've just mentioned you. So cough up some bloody pizza or some money, please. The Marla thing is, so she's going to be the locker room reporter. And they're like, when she says this, I'm a bit like, fucking hell. Female locker room reporter in 1991. I don't really like where this is going. Fortunately, it doesn't really go anywhere. There is a little costume, which I can't remember what it is. But I was like, if that's as far as they go, then, uh, then we'll go. I think Marla says something about basically we'll, I'll see some dicks in the showers. I think that's basically it. And uh, yeah, it's just a lovely thing. You know, then Alex does this Jeopardy thing, which is wonderful. Well, we want to talk about professionals. Mean Gene is just absolutely a hero in this. The segues between each each of them is amazing. Alex Trebek calls him Jim at one point. Yes. <laughs> and he, goes, he goes, Jim, it's Gene. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, Gene. And he gets himself all, gets himself all confused by the by the, Jap- by the rules of Japanese. It's just a tremendous interview by Mean Gene and really shows off his comedic chops. Um, and then we find out that Bobby Heenan has now joined Gorilla Monsoon at the commentary table, which uh, everyone's uh, happy about, which allows us then oh. to move into match number two, which is Dido Bravo against the Texas Tornado. Lasts three minutes and uh, Kerry Von Erich wins with a discus punch, which I believe Monsoon refers to as a spinning tornado punch. Uh, Tom, any thoughts on this one? Uh, this match was a bit shit, but it's not really anything happened in it. But I will have to say that the refereed by young Mike Kyoda mm, with a yeah. lovely with a lovely little mullet. <laughs> not, not too much. Not not enough not enough to really distract you, but enough to let to let everyone know that he's in on it. You know, it's like lads, I got I part of this crew too. At that point, I was so happy that um that Bobby Heenan was on commentary because even though I think Duggan did all right, I was like, I want I want Gorilla and Bobby. You know, that that's what I want on this. This is a bit of a weird one, and I'll touch on this a little bit later on, further on. But this is our our first match of a few in which pretty much everyone's dead. Mm. Yes. There's a few things I enjoyed about this, which surprised me. Uh, mainly Dino Bravo, I'd forgotten that he kind of runs circles in the rain after he, he makes his entrance, which is lovely. The bell rings in poor old Kerry Von Texas is still in his bloody coat. Poor fucker. There's, um, I mean, it's mercifully short because Dino Bravo is sloppier than a shit after a subway. He is fucking... <laughs> He's so bad, and he is referred to as the strongest man in the world, yet he still can't break that crap claw that 
old Kerry Von Texas does. Not bad. Mercifully short. No, no, it is bad. It is bad. Well, I mean, yeah, oh, I yeah. <laughs> It's short and bad. Like, they have three minutes, and yet they still manage to mess up, like, 75% of it. It's ridiculous. The bit where you're talking about at the start with Kerry Von Texas, which is definitely his name from now on, um, the bit where he can't get his coat off, like, his arms are literally trapped behind his back <laughs> for a good, like, minute of the match. I mean, I'm pretty certain that wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, yeah, very, very strange. Um, no, not very strange. Very, very but poor, quite frankly. Um, yeah, mercifully short, though. It is done, and we move on. Let's um, not forget, though, Texas Twinity was wrestling with one foot at this time. Stick that into account whenever you have a shit Kerry Von Eric match, that he was yeah. doing it with one foot. I kept looking to figure out which one it was, and I couldn't. I, I hope I retain both of my feet for my entire existence. I'd be interested to know that if having one foot does affect your ability to take off a coat. <laughs> that's, that's one thing because I'll be honest I'd forgotten that Kerry Von Texas only had one foot at this point it's quite sad as well because he's only 31 at this time and uh, he's obviously he sadly well committed suicide a couple of years later but I thought he he looked awful I thought like just in general he looks like an old man maybe quite sad to be honest and like yeah. Tom said this is where I kind of realised that shit there's a lot of dead people on this card which given that it's 30 years ago is quite quite sad really well and they both well, had quite quite i mean kerry von Eicher, obviously as you said has committed uh, committed suicide a couple of years later dino bravo was killed in a a, a mob a, yeah yeah uh, so he, he got, was he was smuggling cigarettes apparently for like the biker gangs in in quebec and one thing they did say because i watched that there's a the dark side of the ring episode about this was is really quite interesting he just had loads of loose cigarettes in his house so it's found really weird. In fact, he just opened up a cupboard and just all these loose cigarettes fell out of it. And he had loads of like asked well, as stuff. He had loads of like bag for lives, just full of loose cigarettes. Definitely as the bags. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. As the bags for life, full of cigarettes. Amazing. What a weird, what a weird way to store them. But anyway. Yeah. So yeah, it's all a bit maudlin, um, this mm. match in general. Um, I think it's a good idea to just move on got a long way to go guys backstage interview next up there's lots of these by the way uh sean mooney this time conducts one with warlord and slick and we also get a backstage interview by gene oakland with davy boy smith with his dog winston um these two promos are of course building up to the next match any thoughts on the promos old man slick's fucking amazing i have so much appreciation for slick going back and watching these shows for this podcast he is so different in his delivery. Warlord's very excited. I can't remember exactly what he's excited about, but I wrote down that he's excited. Bulldog is fucking awful. <laughs> he's so bad. Winston cuts a more convincing promo than the Bulldog. He's f- oh, fucking awful. I thought this was pretty good for a David Boy Smith standard, to be honest. I think he seemed quite he seems quite alert during this promo, which is which is better than a lot of the stuff he does in, in the future. Yeah, I like the fact that the both two things I noted about this promo is again very similar to what you both said, but slick the way he says devoured at the end, he goes he goes <laughs> he goes the British border there possible will be devoured <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, it's just when it when it comes to the interview with Bulldog. Oh, also they threatened to castrate him as well. Yes, which yeah, which like. is nice. Um, but also the interview with uh, with Gene and Bulldog and Winston, they're uh, they're all crouched down, so same level as Winston, which mm. I thought was quite nice. And then later on in the match, he's got a little plinth to sit on ringside, yes, which oh. is very nice. So a lot of respect for Winston. 
Yeah, I mean, I the, the thing is, I I really hate this period of time for one reason. There's one reason why I dislike this period of time, and that is the use of any of the animals. I just don't yeah. like it. I don't, I don't I don't want dogs having to walk through a massive crowd where they're going to be probably quite intimidated and scared and goodness knows what else. And, and I worry as well about that dressing room and just wrestling dressing rooms in general and their treatment of animals i just can't imagine is any good at all and even worse obviously later on we get the snake uh and that's i, I know tom hates snakes in general and i know he hates like even just seeing them but i also hate the idea of the treatment of the snake we know for example later on in jake robert's life that he did um neglect one of his snakes um and they died and i just feel like it's i just don't like it i just wish they wouldn't use them quite frankly no there's a thing i did think did think that actually specifically about specifically about the snake as well because yeah it's no no fucking secret to either you boys that i'm fucking terrified of snakes and yeah i recoil at the sight of them but the way he fucking slings them around in that bag mm. especially when throw them into the ring is really quite i mean i wouldn't like to be in that bag being thrown around like that no, yeah. sorry, it's just it's just not nice. It's just not nice. So then we get Davy Boy Smith versus the Warlord. Um, it goes eight minutes, and Davy Boy Smith wins with a running power slam. Oh man, thoughts on this one? It's ugly. It's basically built around the fact that no one's broken the Warlord's full Nelson. So we kind of know where we're going. The full Nelson is not an exciting move to watch be applied, and it. Like you said, the match is eight minutes. I think he might have the full Nelson on for about two and a half minutes in this match, which is quite merciful, really, because it's just not very good. The crowd are into it. The crowd seem quite excited, to be honest. The most classy bit is the end when Winston gets in the ring. And the only thing I wish he'd done, I have nothing against the Warlord, but just for the laughs, really, if he'd run over to the Warlord, just taken a piss on his head, isn't it? <laughs> Go on, Winston. Uh, Tom? Uh, it's not my favourite in- incarnation of the Warlord, if I'm being honest. I prefer the Powers of Pain Warlord. Um, <laughs> almost, almost spat me more out then. <laughs> um, the, uh, there's a couple of bits in this. So I actually quite enjoyed this match, but there's a couple of bits in it that did really stand out to me. There's one bit. Not only is there about two and a half minutes of Four Nelson, but there's also about a minute and a half of a bear hug in it. And <laughs> in that in that point, but David Will Smith is trying to like pump his fist to pump the crown. But he does it in such an angle that it looks like he's wanking someone off. <laughs> and that happens about two or three times. He's just there going, ah, and it's right into his like mouth. He's like looking into the fist and he's going, ah. But there's there's a there's a couple of nice bits of commentary in there. Heenan refers to the ref as Mr. Incompetence at one point, which I quite enjoyed. And um, when there's a bit where I think the Warlord's got David Boy Smith in uh, Chinlock, Gorilla Monsoon, definitely says the fourth or fifth cervical fatubrous as well. <laughs> one point in the back. Um, but they they do they do like the they 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 do really sell the importance of hip of Bulldog breaking the full Nelson, and they really sell the importance of the fact of the getting the Warlord up for the Power Slam. So even though it's a bit of a nothing match and ultimately of no consequence, it still actually felt like it was quite a big deal at the end of it, and that was why I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I quite enjoyed this. I thought this was far better than uh, I had any right to be, quite frankly. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was well told. I thought it was really smooth throughout. I I've seen like a handful of warlord matches on the various pay-per-views around this at this time i think he's much better than i've ever like i i've i think people probably give him credit for like don't get me wrong he's not like uh uh, one of the the absolute greats but for a guy who probably just gets kind of dismissed at just the mere mention i think he's far better than that um and uh yeah i think this is a good match and you're right uh, tom i think they really 
they really do sell the importance of a David Boy Smith getting warlord up and b him breaking the the full Nelson, breaking the Willie full Nelson. And um <laughs> and yeah, I I I got I've got nothing but good things to say about this. It, again, it's not going to make anyone's match of the year contender list, but it's for what I was expecting from David Boy Smith and the warlord. And by the way, they wrestle each other pretty much over and over again the entire rest of this year. So there are plenty of worse matches than this one. This is actually uh, pretty good. I've got some exciting Warlord trivia. I'm going to take you back to August 2012. A wrestling organization called Shikara announced that the Warlord's going to be making his debut for their promotion in a King of Trios tournament, which three on three, six Six-person tag match. I think I should mention at this point, I'm a big fan of Chikara, old man. Well, hey, I'm not bloody surprised when I get into what I'm going to talk about. So he reunites with Barbarian and Mesh <laughs> as the faces of pain. No, that's brilliant. They were the faces of fear and the powers of pain. So they're the yeah. faces of pain. That makes perfect sense. So, unfortunately, September the 14th, the team were eliminated by Team Ring of Honor, who are Mike Bennett and Matt and Nick Jackson. Young Bucks. Uh, who I believe are the younger brothers of Michael and Tito and all those. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, so two days later, final day of the tournament. Name's not available, I'm afraid. So the powers of pain are reunited in a tag team gauntlet match. Unfortunately, they're eliminated by their old WWF rivals, Demolition. <gasps> who were then eliminated themselves by the 1-2-3 kid and Marty Gennetti. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is phenomenal. I tell you, I, you've got to watch the car. It's brilliant. I'll be honest. I ain't watching anything of 2012 Demolition. Like, there, there's that picture, which admittedly isn't from 2012, but of Demolition back in One of them's got a bloody walking stick. And it's like, come on. And they, they eliminated the powers of pain. Well, one of them probably had a... Walking stick as well, I should imagine. As well, well Mr. Uh, Mr. Fuji always used to. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't say whether Fuji's there. Well, lovely, lovely old stuff. I should mention at this point though that Chikara uh, closed down in mid two thousand, uh, two sorry, mid two thousand twenty, twenty twenty, as a consequence of some allegations that came out as part of the speaking out movement. Apparently, there were some issues with a number of trainers who worked for Chikara, and that Mike Quackenbush, who was the owner and operator of Chikara, um, ignored some of the issues and um, potentially there were some issues there. So anyway, Quackenbush has closed Chikara now, but forgetting all that outside of of all the stuff that went on backstage the shows were for me exceptional um big fan of chikara so then we have the next backstage interview i told you there was a lot of them this one is with the nasty boys and jimmy hart um at which point one of the nasty boys says it's time we put an end to the stink and pink referring of course to their opponents in their match coming up with who are the heart foundation this is a tag title match we also have the heart foundation backstage with sean mooney and interestingly i wanted to revisit something we spoke about in the royal rumble 92 episode i don't think they have this announcer thing where they had a heel announce a heel commentator a heel interviewer and a face interviewer because they definitely are mixing and matching in this show yeah no they did sometimes and sometimes they didn't but yeah you're right in this one they didn't what i I liked this bit again we can't we can't spend too long going on about all these promos but there is a bit at the end of it where one of the nasty boys blows his nose into mean jean's hanky and then passes it to the other one and mean jean sells it as if well as if someone's actually blown their nose into it they he is (laughs) horrified he is absolutely disgusted and repulsed for the entire thing again another 
Oscar-winning performance from Mean Gene. The charisma on that man is just <laughs> unreal. Uh, mean Gene sold it like I was selling it when I was watching it because it was fucking disgusting. I think what <laughs> happens is Sags, as you said, blows his nose. Then he passes it to Nobbs. He blows his nose. They pass it back and he blows his nose again. And then they shove it in Gene Oakland's pocket. It's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. The thing that got me is you've got three out of four people being interviewed. Those three quarters are just shouting. Just shouting, mm. just winding it back, lads. And then I think it's all right. Brett Hart's here. He's going to calm it down. And then he says, we don't think you're nasty. We think you're scum. I was a bit like, come on. Come on, Brett. That's great the anvil's beard is incredibly tidy. Those are the main notes that I had. Well, he saw it I out did. at WrestleMania, he? I mean, he's got he's gone in and had a special barber cut for his, uh, yeah. for his beard. So the match is, as I said, for the tag team title, Heart Foundation versus the Nasty Boys. This one goes 12 minutes after Sags hits Neidhart with Jimmy Hart's crash helmet, allowing Nobbs to get the pin on Neidhart. And we have new tag team champions. Tom, thoughts on this one? I've got so much time for Jimmy Hart's helmet when <laughs> he comes out wearing the helmet out of nowhere. And also, I tell you what, I'm no fan of the Nasty Boys, but I would wear the fuck out of that blazer that he's wearing. The airbrush <laughs> pictures of the Nasty Boys on the back. It is amazing. Great work. The, the match is, is a pretty good pretty good tag match, to be perfectly honest. Again, the, the hot tag for, for Anvil's great. Bret Hart selling is just out of this world. Like, he's so... I mean, I'm never gonna. I'm not gonna need to convince you boys about how much I love Bret Hart, but this, he's so good in this match. Like his selling is just absolutely out of this world. It looks like he's getting the shit kicked out of him. A bit nice bit of uh, commentary from uh, Bobby Heenan. He hit him in the servial double part of the back. That's <laughs> what he directly <laughs> says. Um, but yeah, obviously, yeah, he throws Jimmy Hart throws the helmet into the ring, and then that was a nice touch in it actually. Is that they hit? Anvil with the helmet. Jimmy Hart then holds on to Bret Hart's leg, stopping him to get in the ring, uh, which then causes the Anvil to get pinned and lose the battle. It's just a nice little reminder of the importance of managers rather than just being a dis- like a, a generic distraction chased around the ring to then close on the opponent's sort of usual trope that we get. He actually has a real effect on the end of the match. Yeah, Jimmy Hart has, you mentioned his jacket, he has a different jacket for every single match that he's involved in in this mat, in this show, which is, it takes a special kind of dedication to one's craft, I think. Um, also, you mentioned Bret Hart selling, and I earlier on mentioned there are two people that I really hit home how good they were. Bret Hart, for me, during this match, secures his place in my mind as the greatest practitioner of offense. During this match, he is phenomenal on offense like his punches look and his kicks look entirely convincing 100% convincing everything he does the Russian leg sweep is absolutely beautiful and I just it's not something that I've not known but it was the first time in my head where I acknowledged how phenomenal Brett Hart is to the point where I'm willing now to say that he is the he is the excellence of execution he is the best offensive wrestler I've seen I just think he is phenomenal. I really hit home during this match. He was just so good. Just so good. I, I had to, I, I, I have to bow down. Brilliant. Wow. Uh, to be honest, I can't really add a lot to that. So I'll just go with the, uh, I'll go the alternative route. Things that caught me off guard in this match. Jim the Anvil comes down to the ring in a pink beret, <laughs> which is just fucking weird. Um, I know this has been touched upon. I've absolutely no idea why Jimmy Hart's wearing a crash helmet. I, I understand it can be dangerous standing ringside, but, you know, the crash helmet, obviously it comes in for the finish, so it makes sense. And also uh, Macaulay Culkin's in the crowd. Mm-hmm. 
which is good to see him. And uh, Monsoon says he doesn't want to be home alone with the nasty boys. He certainly does. Which I think, yeah, which I think is something that uh, we can all get on board with. And to touch on Bret Hart, obviously he was crushed by this loss. And he, I do believe he goes to be a singles competitor pretty much immediately afterwards. Yeah, that's why why they had them drop the belts, basically, so Brett could yeah. pursue that singles career. Um, the interesting thing about the um, Macaulay Culkin bit is that Gorilla Monsoon, I don't know if the, the line that you that you quoted is fed to him because he doesn't seem to know who Macaulay Culkin is when he sees him in the crowd. He goes, oh, that youngster's enjoyed himself. And then immediately after, it's almost rushed, he says he doesn't want to be home alone with the Nasty Boys, as if he didn't recognize who he was i don't know maybe maybe i'm maybe i'm doing monsoon a disservice but it does feel like he didn't know who who he was but yeah i thought this was a good match the reality is that monsoon at this point he wouldn't have been taking jerry morella to watch home alone at the cinema in 1990 <laughs> I, 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 I like the idea that he would i'm like the idea <laughs> yeah. that he would he would take his son fully uh, adult son to the cinemas to watch home alone that would have been fantastic <laughs> I tell you as well, just before we move on, going back to Bret Hart, he'd been in the company six and a half years at this point. And I could just, it made me think, is that obviously it's a very different time because of like TV that they have now. But can you imagine someone waiting six and a half years now to go solo and then having the success that Bret Hart had? Mm, yeah. Imagine that. Go on, Bret. Although he, he, he's, he's still not the best ever, but. <laughs> Fuck off, old man. Well, and I, I, I just want to qualify. I wasn't saying that Brett's the best ever. I was just saying in terms of offense, I don't think there's anyone better. I just don't think there is. Interesting. Next up, we had a video package building to Jake Roberts versus Rick Martel, with Rick Martel spraying the arrogance into Jake Roberts' eyes on the Brother Love show. Um, any thoughts on the video package, Tom? It's very similar to what Old Man just touched on, but the amount of time that it took... It was it was took place over months and months and months. Now, I know, again, because they didn't have the pay-per-view schedule, they didn't have so many hours of TV, to they could do a slow burn on it. But the bit in the build-up where he comes out and he's blind and he DDTs brother love, it's, it's, <laughs> amazing, it's amazing. But, yeah, it's just, I don't know, like, it, just, it harkens back. This is why I kind of, like, love old old wrestling so much, like old wrestling from this period, as you said, from 87 up to about 92. And it's because of that, the fact that it took so long. I remember watching this pay-per-view, I remember watching the Savage Steamboat build-up at WrestleMania 3 and stuff like that, and watching it back and thinking, this took place for so long, everything felt so important. It's a daft little match that they have afterwards, but it's still mm. quite good. But just the build-up to it, it's just, it's just excellent. Well, to that point, uh, oh, I'm out. sorry, old man, if you got anything on the um, on the video package. Um, to be honest, the, Tom has covered it magnificently. The only thing I've got to add is that when poor old Jake Roberts is sprayed with the arrogance, the jumper he is wearing is absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> it's absolutely marvellous. It is a beautiful thing. And his selling is incredible. I don't know how they did the eye either. I mean, they must have had some kind of um, contact lens, I assume, in his, yeah. in his eye to make him look like he had been blinded by the arrogance. If it's great, isn't it? Like everything about it is just amazing. I tell you what is strange. The only thing I will say is strange about this, in terms of this program, is that Rick Martel is a part of it. Now I'm not, I'm not against Rick Martel. Rick Martel's a decent worker and everything, but look over his career, it just seems out of place in a feud with Jake Roberts. It doesn't feel like he's at that level, even at this point in his career. It's as though they were trying to get him over and wanted to turn him into one of the top heels in the company, and then they kind of just gave up. 
I wonder if it was supposed to be someone like a Rick Rude or something like that. Because he did have a feud with Rick Rude prior to this, didn't he? Mm. And I wonder if they were maybe going to extend that, find some way, maybe with the old body oil. Heenan could have got the body oil left over from Rumble 89 and thrown that in his face. Maybe. Or something like that. But yeah, yeah it, it does, you're right. It does. Because, yeah, you're right. Like, you think about the other matches. I mean, he'd, he'd split up with Tito, which was, a you know, effectively a, a mid-card, lower mid-card tag team. So it is, it is a bit of an odd, odd kind of career path. Maybe they just were like a filler. They were like, this match is going to be a bit weird. So we want someone who's decent in the ring with Roberts. Mm. You know, I don't know. Odd one. Odd one, this one. Um, So then we have the match. It's a blindfold match, as we said. Eight minutes in length. Roberts hits the DDT for the win. Old man, thoughts on this one? It kind of feeds into what you were just saying about Rick Martel, I think. It's like, this is a joke position. Like, he has to play the clown in this because of the way that the match is set up. So he has to look stupid to be honest. Like, there's the bit where he Irish whips Roberts after what feels like about a month of Roberts pointing to get the crowd involved to say where Martel is, which is very well done, given, like, what the match is. But he Irish whips Roberts, and Roberts just sidesteps him and makes him look a bit stupid. And then there's, to be honest, the best bit of the match is when Rick Martel is out the ring and he gets the chair and he's just jabbing, jabbing with the chair. And Roberts is nowhere near him. I think Roberts is in the ring at this point. But it's just impossible to do this match. It's not good, like, because it can't be good. They do what they can with it. Jake Roberts is sweating so much when they take the blindfold off. It made me realise just how uncomfortable they must have been. And also, I was never going to enjoy this because we don't, I don't believe we get to hear Rick Martel's music. We do it. We hear the end of it because he gets the jobber entrance again. Yeah, he's he ain't no jobber. This is Rick Martel. Lots of jobber entrances on this show. Lots. This is Rick Martel. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not surprised. There's, there's about fucking eighty matches on this pay per view. There, so they didn't have time for entrances. I, I like that. This is a bit where again, the same thing happened as what happened in the uh, one of the previous matches where you really start noticing that Bobby Heenan keeps repeating what Gorilla Monsoon's saying and winding him up. So the what Monsoon goes, um, he basically, there's one point Jake Roberts grabs the referee and he goes, oh, he got, he got the referee without much trouble. And then immediately after, Bobby Heenan goes, yeah, he got the referee without much trouble. And he's like, stop repeating what I'm saying. He's like, I can't hear you because the crowd is so loud. <laughs> yeah, he says that all the way through. He says, I can't hear what you're saying all the time. Like, constantly <laughs> saying it. Funny. Um, but yeah, it was it was fine. It was a perfectly fun match, considering the, the the weird self-imposed difficulties that you would have in having a blindfold match. Yeah, it's it's quite it's quite fun. And you're right, old man. The crowd is into it every moment, of the way, especially at the beginning when when Jake Roberts is pointing. It's amazing. I struggle with this. This is the, I think this was the match where I was like I, I've mentioned before that when I sit down to watch these shows, I, I watch it the day before recording and I sit down and I watch it beginning to end. No breaks. I mean, obviously, I go to the toilet and whatnot, but I, there's no kind of I don't stop in after about an hour and then come back another day or whatever. And this was the first time where I contemplated stopping that we, since we've started the podcast. This is the first time I started um, uh, contemplating stopping because I just was like, oh, this is not. I get I, I I agree with old man. This is impossible to do well because you've got to sell the idea that you can't see. But at the same time, that means you can you can't really even engage in any wrestling. I guess they could have done some mat stuff like they could have one of them could have got the other one down and then they could have just 
been on the floor wrestling a little bit so that that wouldn't re- require them to see each other but because they don't do that it just yeah it's just i found it really dull and you're right the, the crowd love it the, all the kids are shouting yeah he's over there he's over there he's over there but i was just like i'm not i'm just can't do this it's just not a good match and it's, it's why they've never done it again which is which is fair really it was an experiment and i don't think it worked out and i think that thankfully they've never revisited it so i can't be too unhappy with that let's have a little check-in at the moment how are you boys feeling at this moment are you having a good time watching this pay-per-view i'm reasonably enjoying it yet i'm very aware how how long it is at this point i'm thinking Mm. my god there's a lot of matches but the the thing is i guess it's a bit of a difficult thing there's a lot of matches but a lot of them are quite short so it doesn't feel really like you're like you're watching a match that really drags on for ages because they're all really short but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to some of the matches that are coming up. I am. I've struggled with this since I watched it in that I don't know how I feel about this show in general, because I was struggling to watch at this point. As I said, I was getting bored and I was getting fed up and I was like, why have I got to watch this match? This Roberts <laughs> thing. But the weird thing is, is that of the four matches that have come before this, three of them I thought are fine. That's the weird mm. thing. Like, it, it, it's not like I dislike. I thought the Heart Foundation Nasty Boys match was really good. I thought the David Boy Smith Warlord match was way better than I imagined it would be. I thought the Rockers versus Barbarian and Haku was really good. So I was like, so far, the show's been really good. I think, actually, in, in contrast to Tom, I was a bit worried about how much we had to come up. Because I'm like, there's still 10 matches. I know one of them is the Savage Army Warrior match. But other than that, oh, God, there's not a lot on here I really am looking forward to. And usually when we watch these shows... I don't necessarily either remember or even know what's coming up on the show. This one, I knew exactly what was coming up, having watched it at least a couple of times before. And that was not filling me with um, anticipation for what was left to come. Yeah, I'm kind of midway between the two of you. But I'll tell you who's not. I'll tell you who's having a great time at WrestleMania, according to Corona Monsoon. And that's Damien. <laughs> Damien is having the time of his life, apparently, according to Monsoon. Monsoon sells it lovely, this poor snake in a bag. Yeah, I. there's one thing I'm looking forward to on this show, and it's the Macho King and Ultimate Warrior. And that pretty much goes for the whole thing, my whole view all the way through of it, which doesn't let us down. But obviously, we will get there. Yeah, we're not quite there yet, because before that, we've got a, a one match. But before even that match... We've got a lovely little bit where Marla Maple is fulfilling her duties as the backstage reporter and she is with the Nasty Boys. But unfortunately, she can't be heard over the cheering and celebrations that the Nasty Boys, Jimmy Hart, Dino Bravo, Mountie and Earthquake are all making as they enjoy the fact that the Nasty Boys are the new tag team champions. I thought that was, I thought this was a really good touch, especially as all these guys are Jimmy Hart guys. I thought this makes perfect sense. This is great. This mm. is great. Yeah. Definitely. And again, it just adds that little bit of like, oh, that match did mean something. Yeah. Someone cared about it. Yeah. yeah. Also, I just I love Earthquake's promo style. He shouts. That's all he does. Can't understand a word he says. And then he's done. <laughs> it's Lovely. It's just the little um, I, I, I was going to bring it into the, uh, you know, the actual Earthquake match later on, but 28 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Undertaker versus Jimmy Snooker. Um, there's no real build up to this one. Uh, or at least none that we are given on the show. Uh, Only lasts four minutes and Undertaker wins with a tombstone. It's a pretty comprehensive victory over somebody who had been uh, pretty important in WWF's history prior to this. Uh, Tom, your thoughts on this one? Okay, well, we can dissect these two down. I'll let you guys choose. Who's the heel in this match? 
I think it might be the Undertaker, but I can't really can't tell because he's it so is. over. Um, and who has got the filthier goatee? Is it Jimmy Snooker at WrestleMania Seven or Tom Jones now? <laughs> It's a tough one. It is a tough one. Yeah. Because it is absolute... Oh, his goatee's horrible. It's so... Oh, it just made me feel really uncomfortable. I don't remember seeing him with a goatee. And when I did, I was like... Ugh. Well, uh, well, a, a horrible goatee and someone who makes you feel uncomfortable. That is pretty much Jimmy Snack all over, isn't it? Horrible and makes you feel uncomfortable. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Just very quickly, this is pretty much the only point I've got on the map, is that Snooker is referred to as the Phenom. Yeah. I wonder. I wondered if this is where they gave the Undertaker the moniker because he beat Snooker. Maybe this match, some maybe somewhere during one of the shows that built up to WrestleMania, or even one of the shows after WrestleMania this year, they said now that the Undertaker's beaten Snooker, he is now the Phenom. Don't know. Maybe so. The other thing that obviously because it, it's not a very good match because the Undertaker's matches at this time weren't. Um, I always enjoyed uh, Gorilla Monsoon saying Tombstone City. Whenever he tombs to yeah. anyone. Um, but also, again, it's, it wasn't until afterwards. I was like, oh, that was the beginning of the streak. Again, even though it's not, it feels quite important and quite a, quite a historical match, even though it's actually shit. Well, this is one of those things where I feel like this is why I was kind of a little bit questioning about the Jake Roberts, Rick Martel thing in terms of maybe they were really trying to put Martel over as a as a main heel and then just gave up at some point. Because here, obviously, they are trying to build The Undertaker. This is about nothing else than giving The Undertaker what feels like a big victory at WrestleMania against somebody, as I said, who, regardless of what we may think about him now, was a big star at one point in his career and, and, and meant quite a lot to WWF in general through their history. So... I, that's what this is about. It's just giving Undertaker a big victory to, to really launch him. I know he's been around for sort of four or five months by this point, but to really start to launch him to to the top and make him kind of seem a, a big star without feeding me anyone that will mean anything because Snooker is obviously way past his best by this point. So yeah, not not a lot to say about this one. It's, it's four minutes. It's not great. It's, it's fine for what it is, but there we go. I think at this point, before we get to the Randy Savage Ultimate Warrior stuff, I will take our first break of the day and we'll be back in just one moment. Legion of Doom, it appears WrestleMania 7 will be a night of reckoning for the power and glory. That's right, Sean Nooney! All the people in the World Wrestling Federation out there, you all know that we should have had the title shot against the Hearts, and we should be champions right now! By you, power and glory, you interfered where you didn't belong, and now, at WrestleMania, you're going down by the hands of the Legion of Doom, and when we're done with you, nasty boys, we're coming after you, Kalamok. Power and glory, huh? Power and glory. When we get done with you, you'll be sour and gory. So welcome back and we now delve deep into Randy Savage versus the Ultimate Warrior because we start with a video package hyping the match um, which I've got one note from the video package which is that the scepter shot that he does at the Rumble looks bloody brutal it looks really hard um, scepter city bitch <laughs> he absolutely fucking twats him with it doesn't he it's so brutal he does he really does um so credit to the warrior for taking that and it's unprotected in the head as well so that's perhaps not credit but just yeah really looks brutal um and then before the match bobby heenan notice notices elizabeth in the crowd in a 
in an almost quite organic way they almost pull it off to the point where it doesn't feel contrived like he kind of they're kind of just they linger the camera lingers on bobby heenan and gorilla monsoon for just a little bit longer than it than it feels natural to do so and bobby heenan kind of like does a double take and then kind of like nudges gorilla monsoon to say look over there look i think that's i think that's elizabeth and i I said it almost works in terms of not feeling contrived any thoughts on the the build-up or the uh bobby heenan noticing elizabeth bit there's the bit with sensational sherry where she is pleading with warrior for the match i think this is probably where my mind goes more than what they intended looks a little bit like she's saying that she's going to give him a blowjob which i thought was going to lead to the classic blowjob, low blow uh, from yeah. ECW Living Day 1999. Doesn't. And then he just goes, no! Main thing I took from this promo, Ultimate Warrior is fucking awful. That's it. I think um, that promo is in the build-up to the Royal Rumble. So that actually happens before the Rumble, before Warrior loses the title. And I think they were going for that. I've got to be honest. I think they were. I think there is a they 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 are trying to signify that without actually doing it. I think there's no way you can't. She mm. is knee nailed down in front of them with her face right in his bollocks. They could never. No, there's no way that could have gone past anyone and be like, do you know how it kind of looks like she's gonna blow him? And then someone went, Jobby, there's no no way that happened. That was definitely supposed to be that, supposed to be that way. It's just a shame that the low blow didn't happen after he said no. Can yeah. you imagine his cum noise? I know we've had Vince's before, but gee, I, do, do you reckon it would be the uh, or the snarl? <laughs> what, what the, <laughs> and, then, and then he's just like shaking the side of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Moving swiftly on. Um, so then we have Riley Savage versus the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, career ending match. Last 20 minutes, Warrior ends up winning after he pulls Randy Savage back in the ring following a shoulder tackle that sent Savage out. That was the third time he did that. Uh, let's start with you, Tom. Your overall thoughts on the show, on the show, on the match. Can I get? Can I go? I'm going to go take a slight sidetrack now for a second. So again, this is another dead person versus dead person, including the two ballets who are dead and the referee. Bloody hell. Yeah. I think it's I think it's Joey Morella. I think it's the referee. So at this point, I went through the card and I looked. So we've got Texas Tornado, Dino Bravo, British Bulldog, Jim Neidhart, Paul Bearer, Jimmy Snooker, Ultimate Warrior, Matthew Man, Randy Savage, Miss Elizabeth, Sensational Sherry, Crush, Mr. Fuji, Big Boss Man, Mr. Perfect, Bobby Heenan, Earthquake, Hawk, Animal, Hercules, Roddy Piper, Lord Alfred Hayes, Gorilla Monsoon, Mean Gene, Rita's Fulman, Alex Trebek, The Fink, and Joey Morella. There's 29 people who are on this card who are all dead now. That, that, that's and, almost a full, full Royal Rumble. Yes, exactly. And, and I, it, I kind of got thinking, and this is where it kind of really hit him. Could you imagine going back and watching anything from that from that time period, watching a TV show or watching a film or a football match, or even like you could watch an American football match where there's so much physical contact or a rugby match or something like that, and finding that 29 people from 1991 are dead no that's madness could you imagine watching i don't know like the terminator or whatever and finding like 29 people who are in that film have died or whatever it's just oh it just it made me feel really sad like mm. thinking of it in that context i was like that's i mean that is fucking horrific yeah, yeah. it's damning it's really damning yeah the whole, the, the whole industry because let's not forget this is also the pinnacle 
arguably it's the it's the biggest stage that the uh, industry had at the time i mean there'll probably be some people who will argue something in japan which i can't i can't argue against but effectively this is the pinnacle so there are other loads of other wrestlers in loads of other promotions doing loads of other stuff but this is the pinnacle and as you say 29 of them who appear are no longer with us from what 30 years ago it's crazy um, and it's not like it's not like they're old people either they're they're wrestlers no. they're kind of in their 30s and uh, most 40s yeah i know it's, it's crazy and it yeah it did make me think so i'll go um back onto so the matches is great randy savage drags warrior to the best match of his of his career there's nothing quite says royalty like being carried to the ring by oiled up mulleted men <laughs> there's plenty of oiled up mulleted men in the wwf of 1991 as well yeah exactly so yeah it's not even as if they look different to everyone else they're just like shit munchers like the rest of them um i tell you, mate the old traveling tassel salesman would have been very happy in the lead oh, up to this yeah. match because there are tassels galore in this they he must have been loving it and the warrior's got a great tan those are my notes on the match um but it's a it's a really good match, but I hate the ending of it. Mm. Five el- five elbow drops, which the warrior kicks out of. Matching man then kicks out of the gorilla pre- press slam, a bunch of shoulder badges, then a gorilla press slam, and then a splash to the back, which let's be honest, no one's kicking out of. Um, he kicks out <laughs> of that, and then just loses to like three. Now, admittedly, matching sells him incredibly well by flying out of the ring, and I did watch it at the time thinking. I wonder if he was supposed to be flying out of the ring. I wonder if he's just like doing a bit of the old Hogan versus Shawn Michaels overselling at that point. But three shoulder tackles. And then he pinned him by standing on his chest with his foot on him. And I hated that ending. Yeah, I'm with you on that because I didn't mind the savage kick out of the press slam and the splash. But I felt like, first of all, there, there shouldn't have been five elbow drops. You should have done one, tried to pin him not managed to pin him then do maybe two or three more and still not managed rather than just doing five off the top also then you're right the end is just it kind of just feels a little bit too drawn out like i think have one of those shoulder barges at the end where he flies out of the ring get him back in and even if he tries to pin him and he still kicks out one more time then do it one more time i think the idea of the the foot on Savage being the way he pins him is that Savage has literally given everything. There's nothing left. So I think that's the idea of him kind of when he takes the shoulder tackles, just falling out of the ring. Like he's got, there's nothing left in him. He can't go anymore. And having kicked out of the, the press slam earlier. So I think it would have worked, but just with a bit of modification around that ending, which just seems drawn out and, and overly kind of convoluted. And I think it detracts quite a lot from the match because i've watched it this time like when you watch it back they don't do anything amazing during the match the match is still good but it relies heavily on the drama and the excitement of the crowd and they reach a peak of excitement when savage kicks out of the of the press slam and that's the moment where i'm like oh this is a great match and then the worst thing of the match happens which is ultima warrior talking to his gods and I'm just like that instantly lost me i was like fuck off fuck off this is just rubbish and the worst part of it was when he started walking off like he, he does the bit where he like yeah. points to the sky and like asking what's going on and then he looks at his hands and you're like okay well i can i can forgive that but then he starts to walk away like the gods have preordained that he's supposed to lose this match or something and i just thought oh go away this is just not very good so you're right tom it's a great match it's probably the best of warrior's career but it really the end really detracted from me too i really struggled with it 
Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. So I have, I do not like Ultimate Warrior. I never did, even as a kid. He's not good at all. But he's wearing, I mean, one, he runs down to the, well, he doesn't run down to the ring, he walks down, which is probably something to do with how narrow the walkway is. So that makes sense. People are grabbing him. He absolutely hates it. I think this is the thing that mm-hmm. I get, that I got with Warrior when I was a kid, is that he seems like a horror, he see, and I, I understand that he's dead, so I don't wish to speak ill of the dead, and this is just my opinion, but he seems like a horrible human being. Like, he doesn't seem like a nice man. On the flip side of that, his coat and his knee pads are fucking phenomenal. But he's got this weird thing where, and the commentators point it out, which I find astonishing. He's got more than this on his trunks and a drawing of the WWF title, which I think is like, hang on, what? That's like sold as being the biggest thing in the business and you're doing it down. And I think it just like the stuff that I've heard about Warrior is that he's just in it for himself really and he doesn't really have any respect or didn't have any respect for the business and to see someone like savage like savage makes him look a million bucks when in actual fact he's probably about 30p to be honest warrior he's not he hasn't doesn't have anything this is this is savage the suggestion is made at wrestlemania 10 that Shawn michaels has a wrestling match with a ladder this is savage having a wrestling match effectively with a beanbag i think like he's selling for this beanbag all over the shop and the ultimate beanbags just (laughs) fucking (laughs) awful the pin and this is with the benefit of adult eyes and the benefit of hindsight as well what i don't understand with the pin is what he gained from it like you for something like that you have to gain something like it like the beanbagging <laughs> oh man you turned into me talking about fast lane just then yeah the ultimate beanbag is gaining nothing from pinning someone like that because ultimately no pun intended what it does is it makes savage look weak so he's just beaten a weak man. It's also kind of sold a little that Savage has kind of passed his best at this point. 38. Oh, oh beanbags, 32. So the fact that they're having a career-ending match is absurd. Anyway, like you've both said, it's a really, really decent match that the crowd are massively into. And then there's the finish, which is awful. But then, but then there's magic after that. Well, let's just let's just hold it there. So I'm not quite finished on the match itself because I want I just want to cover a few points you made there. I think I don't mind the pin. I think I think this is I I really don't mind it. I do I don't think it does much for the warrior. I don't think it doesn't. I don't think it detracts from the victory, but I don't think it does much for him. I but I also think this feeds into maybe that warrior just simply doesn't really understand the business that well and that he almost I feel like this was his trade off for Savage kicking out of the of the press slam i think warrior is the kind of person who would have said if you want to kick out my press slam i want to pin you this way and savage i think the idea because i i'm assuming like all the as we've heard about savage before that he would have wanted to plot this match out beforehand make sure that they went through every spot and he led that and led that discussion and decided what was going to happen and i think what he would have wanted for his career-ending match would be to kick out of the press slam to show how much he was giving 
to make sure his career didn't end. But I think in response to that, Warrior would have said, well, I want to do this then, or I want to kick out five of your, your elbow drops, whatever. And I wonder, and I might be doing everyone a disservice and I might be, it might be completely unfair, but I'm wondering whether some of the excesses of this match and some of, and some of the silliness at the end are the Warrior doing what he wanted to do as part of Savage's overall plan um, in order for Savage to trade with some of the things he wanted, like, as I say, to kick out of the press slam, which I think was a, that was the best bit of the match was the kick out of the press slam. And as yeah. I say, at that point, you're at a peak where you're like, right, now we're really heading for the finish. And then the finish is just a dribble. The, the finish is just a, a really annoying, protracted, overly convoluted end. And I just it, it annoyed me a lot. It's got something that I want to say that's quite, I feel is quite important before we get into into the uh, heavy emotional aspects of the end of this match. The Albert Warrior, when he's celebrating, goes to get his jacket, puts it back on, and then celebrates in the ring with it. I just thought that was an important thing to note because it's very unusual behaviour well, for someone to get their pre-ring gear and put it back on. And also, it does that kind of thing does feed into what Tinky's just said. But Warrior is basically putting himself over. He's got no respect. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with him putting himself over. Like, he's the winner. He's the one who's going to continue to wrestle, apparently, according to the stipulation of his match. He, Savage he is never done. wrestled. He just turned up. He's a fucking beanbag. Come on. Savage, Savage is going to no longer be competing. He's no longer, apparently, going to have any more matches. So that means you don't need to put him over anymore. He's done. And Warrior is going to continue to fly the flag. So apparently will continue. So I, that makes sense. I think the excesses he makes doesn't add anything. I think that's the problem. He's not the, try, in trying to make himself the center of attention more. He doesn't do it any more than he already would have been had he not done those things. I don't think it detracts from it. I just don't think it adds anything and it makes it just feel excessive. It is, it's not adding anything to it, therefore making it a detraction. I think it's a detraction from the overall entertainment. I don't think it's a detraction from him putting him like he doesn't put himself over any less. Basically, fuck off, Warrior. <laughs> so, old man, do you want to kick us off into the emotional stuff? So, after the match, we have the beatdown by Sherry. Sherry's turned on Savage. Is it presumably that Sherry's now had to retire as well? That's kind of what they allude to. Well, they, I think they allude to the fact that she's no longer the queen because the yeah. king is no longer there. And obviously, and they also talk about him being her meal ticket, so she can no longer make any money out of him because he's now had to retire. So, why would she want to stay with him, basically? Yeah, and then so Sherry's pissed off because she's lost her crown. Her crown is slipped. Let's be honest, the beatdown that Sherry gives Savage is more real looking than anything the Ultimate Beanbag does during this whole match and probably his whole fucking career, to be honest. The camera keeps going, keeps going, keeps going to Elizabeth because the beatdown goes on a good amount of time, which I very much enjoyed. And then it's all right, Elizabeth vaults over the uh, barricade very impressively, I must say, because mm. it's quite high and it's definitely something I would struggle to do. And she's wearing I mean, very high heels. Yeah, and it's very impressive. She is wearing the most sequins I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. Like, there must be, I reckon, a billion sequins on this dress that she's wearing. It's, it's just beautiful. Like, she chases... she. Wax all Sherry about. Sherry leaves the ring. Savage is selling like, I mean, I, I think Savage sells like no one ever has or ever will. And that's not to put down any other wrestlers. He is selling is unbelievable. And he's selling and he's turned all the time. He's turned away from Elizabeth, not knowing that Elizabeth has effectively saved him. 
And then she just kind of brushes him and he turns around and he's going to hit her. And then there's just the look and he doesn't know what to do. And he's looking at looking at the crowd, looking at the crowd, seeing what he should do. And then it goes on, goes on just the perfect amount of time. And then they hug. And it is, I was thinking this whilst it was happening. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in wrestling because it, even as a 37-year-old man, it completely took me out of what it was. And I can tell you now that if I'd have been in that crowd, I would have been the woman crying <laughs> with much less hair. <laughs> it's phenomenal. Yeah, I, I think um, I think this genuinely is emotional. Like, it, it was weird, weird. I was watching it thinking, OK, we're going to get this now. And I was a little bit cynical. I was like, this is going to be silly. And like, and also there is the element of it, which is like, OK, Savage has just been a complete turd to Elizabeth for about two years. Uh, gone off with this with this other woman, um, called himself the king. And she's just like, oh, well, you're a bit sad now. OK, I'll take you back. But it is emotional. It does hit home. I tell you what really hits home, though, for me. Savage is selling really well. Savage is talking about, you know, he's, he's looking around and he's kind of confused. And in fairness, he's got a lot to do as an actor in this moment because he's trying to sell the fact that he's lost his career. He's trying to sell the fact that he's confused as to who's kicking him or what's going on or who's hitting him. He's trying to sell the fact that he's shocked that Elizabeth has come and, like, said, uh, you know, has kind of come to his aid and whatever else. And then he's happy because he's about to be like reunited with Elizabeth. So he's doing a heck of a lot and, and he just about manages it. But what really makes it uh, emotional is Elizabeth is brilliant in this moment. She is really good and she does sell the emotion of it. And I think she has a tear in her eye and everything. And it kind of just it does like you do feel emotional watching it. So, I yeah, I thought this if you judge a match on bell to bell, then I thought the Warrior Savage match was good. I think if you judge a match on the entrances and everything that takes place as kind of in the same segment as the match itself, which is this bit, then it becomes great. And I, I wonder whether or not this is why people remember it as being such a great match because of this emotional ending. I think that's definitely, definitely the case. It is because it is, it is amazing. There's, there's not really much more to say about it that, that you boys haven't. Um, and you're right. Thinking about Elizabeth's, part in it as well because she's notoriously very wooden um so yeah. to see her actually share the motion and the bit where he hoists her up onto the shoulder up onto his shoulder she looks genuinely happy there is a bit of an odd bit at the end though when she holds the ropes open and he's like no no i'll hold the rope open for you and you're like oh that's amazing fight like he's he's become he's become the the macho man that we all know and love again she gets out of the ring he then just starts posing on the turnbuckles and he's like, all right, love, you can wait there and I'm just going to be there mm. pointing around. To be fair, he doesn't do it for very long. It's very quick, like up and down on each one, but it's still it's a bit odd at the end of it. But overall, it's it's a magnificent moment. Yeah, I think that that moment and the bit where Savage is selling that you touched upon earlier on, old man, is again going harking back to the fact that we do have to remember this is supposed to be the end of Savage's career. So the idea is that he's selling the match because he's given everything to try and stay in it and that's why he was able to be pinned by just the foot which is why i don't really mind that so much and also he takes the the applause on the you know with when elizabeth's left the ring because again this is last supposedly his last match obviously we know it's not but i think that's kind of the idea behind it this is something that i noticed in the commentary is that they really do not sell the fact that it's a career-ending match they don't mention it enough i don't think because to be honest I kind of forgot, like, it's a great, obviously, 
with the benefit of hindsight as well, in that you know that obviously Savage carries on after a little break. But yeah, I think that's something else that kind of lets it down. And they don't, when Savage does do his posing, they don't say, is that, oh, he's saying goodbye to the fans and stuff like that. It's just, yeah, it's just a bit, a bit lazy on commentary. But my guess is they were both bawling their eyes out because it was emotional. Yeah, there's also a tinge of sadness because obviously they've been married since 1984 by this point and they actually divorced a year later. So they were like, this was kind of, even though in the on-screen world of the WWF storyline, this is technically the first confirmation that they would be together as a romantic partnership. I don't know if that's really ever explicitly said before this point. Um, They obviously hinted towards it, but I don't think it was ever like explicitly said these are, these two people would, for example, get married as they do later in the year in w- on WWF television. Uh, uh, but ultimately, as I say, like not long after this is their kind of eventual split. It's also worth noting that in the um, just after this sh- this show, Savage does actually wrestle a number of matches on like house shows and stuff. And they 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 explained it away that the warrior had kind of been nice and said, you can fulfill your contractual obligations before you have to retire <laughs> like he'd been magnanimous and said you know you, you sorry I, i'll let you off for the matches you've already committed to so just an interesting little uh, uh, extra thing there but yeah i mean he wasn't out for very long it was only about sort of five six months in the end that he would ultimately be retired which i guess goes back to what we were talking about about mick foley's retirement earlier uh, a couple of episodes ago but just some interesting points there well they retired the macho king they did not the man mm. okay so um they then take a little bit of a pause after that, which is understandable. We've just had probably the best match of the night and a bunch of um, emotional stuff afterwards. So first of all, we get Gorilla Monsoon and, and Bobby the Brain Heenan at ringside, just uh, sort of summarising what we've already seen and, and briefly touching upon what we're going to see in the rest of the show. We then have, I'm going to run through all these backstage bits in one go, and then we'll just, you can pluck out bits and pieces that you might want to say, guys. Um, So backstage, you have Regis Philbin interviewing Undertaker and Paul Bearer, where the Undertaker takes Regis's measurements for a coffin, presumably, which uh, I think Regis does a good job of uh, selling. And then we have Alex Trebek interviewing Demolition Smash and Crush with Mr. Fuji. Then we have another backstage check segment where Regis Philbin tries to interview Tenru and Koji Kitao, but can't make them understand anything he's saying until he says the word Toyota, which is a lovely bit of, um, I don't know what you would call this, uh, haphazard ignorant xenophobia, I suppose you might call it. Tenru then does say Kathy Lee to Regis, um, which apparently the only words of English that he knows. But um, that was mildly funny, I suppose, during this point. And then we have one last backstage interview by Alex Trebek, this time with Jake Roberts. Um, Trebek runs out scared of Damien. Uh, Tom, anything you want to pull out from all that stuff? Undertaker measuring Regis Philbin is magnificent. It's absolutely brilliant. It's just so, and he plays it. it they play, like him and Paul Bearer play it so straight as well it's brilliant yeah um the alex trebek interviewing demolition mission fuji is quite problematic because i think he refers to their jap opponents which is a bit is a bit don't know about that the interview with regis uh, with regis and tenru and katao is is pretty it's pretty grim because like you said tiki is it racist don't know but it's definitely very xenophobic and yeah. quite uncomfortable to watch there's a, there's a sense of othering shall we say about yeah definitely and then the last promo i'd quite like the, i do quite like the fact that jake roberts keeps trying to be like when you interview damien interview damien <laughs> he's like oh fuck that runs off that is my that is my overall breakdown of it. 
the the main thing I took from all of this is that Damien and Jake watch Jeopardy all the time, <laughs> and uh, oh, Jake's obviously angling to get on there. And then the, <laughs> the last line is Jake saying to Damien in a very sinister manner, "You'll just have to settle for the home version of Jeopardy." <laughs> no, it just sounded to be honest right if you want if he was saying that to another human being it would be incredibly uncomfortable the fact that he's saying it to a snake kind of makes me think well the snake could probably kill you if you tried anything so <laughs> you'll probably be all right there's also a nice touch at the end of it where it basically it's alluded to that all these promos that are all a bit crap have all been set up by Bobby Heenan yeah. so they yeah. fail it's just quite a nice touch he, yeah it appears that he's he's basically arranged for all these interviews to happen and they're all a bit rubbish and he's and he's made them that that way it's great yeah that's a nice little uh, explanation for why this even exists because that you know it's it's lighthearted but ultimately it's all a bit fluffy and doesn't really need to be there but all the same good bit at the end there with Bobby Heenan so the next match on the show uh, is Demolition versus Tenru and Kitao. During this match, Monsoon mistakenly calls them Axe and Smash, but they're not. They are Smash and Crush by this point. The match ends when Tenru hits uh, a powerbomb on Smash, I believe, for the victory. Uh, old man, any thoughts on this one? No, it's really not good. It's ugly, it's slow-paced, and it's quite messy, but it is a very good come down, I think after what we've just seen so i i got like it, it's hard to hate one thing i did hate is bobby heenan's commentary mm-hmm. in that so i had to write these down so tenru and katao come out some great music come out some great music bobby heenan there's a little rundown of comments that he makes which i really did and i we need to kind of take this as being a different time but i think they need to be i think it'd be remiss of us to ignore what is said so he says, what's his name? Hand towel? About, I've no idea what he's talking about. He says, that's a big fortune cookie. And then he says that he didn't think they grew them that big, obviously implying that Japanese people are small. And I'll be honest, I didn't particularly like that stuff. And Heenan also does kind of struggle. I don't think this is intentional, but he does kind of struggle saying Tenru's name a few times. And uh, Monsoon makes a nice little joke. He says, you'd have trouble if his name was Fred, which I thought was quite a nice thing. (laughs) Because I think it kind of like it kind of acknowledges the fact that what Heenan's doing is actually quite offensive. So let's make him the butt of the joke. Yeah. So that it kind of which which as a as a human being, I very much appreciate it. I also enjoyed the back elbow off the top rope by Tenryu. <laughs> yeah, I've got that. It's so weird. Isn't it? <laughs> he just climbs up and just falls backwards. It's a really bizarre one. Odd move. I've never seen yeah. that before. Yeah, I thought he was going to go for a moonsault or something. But yeah, yeah. you're right. Just sort of gets onto the top rope and then does an <laughs> elbow drop, but backwards off the top. You're right, though, about uh, Minji making... Uh, sorry. Gorilla Monsoon making um, Bobby Heenan the butt of the joke, which, which is something that WWE have never really done very well. But if they had done this in this way, if, if what Monsoon kind of does on the fly here was how they responded to all of this kind of stuff, then WWE's product would have been a whole lot less problematic over time than it has been. Because here, you're right, 
Monsoon effectively makes Heenan the butt of the joke, which kind of just turns a lot of that xenophobia on its head. Unfortunately, that very rarely happened back in the day. And so we have all these kind of things we have to sort of talk about throughout these reviews. Tom, any thoughts further on that one? Um, well, it's further to the to the, the weird backwards elbow drop. And there's also a really crap diving headbutt from Crutch, where he literally just stands on the top <laughs> rope, just falls flat on his face forward. Um, but the, I wanted to ask you about this, Tinky. Well, the Tenru, obviously, mm-hmm. no, don't, this is probably the only match I've ever seen him. An early practitioner of the old strong style? Well, first of all, this isn't the only match you've ever seen him in because we've already seen a match with Tenru on this podcast. He teamed with oh, really? the he, he teamed with the Road Warriors in your one of your favourite shows of all time, Clash of the Champions oh. Five. Okay, all right, I will cover that. He doesn't do anything in that match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's he's one of the top Japanese wrestlers at the time. Japanese wrestling has at the time had elements of strong style within a, a number of the promotions. Um, products and he just happened uh, Tenru has been an IWGP champion I think but he has been uh, an All Japan Triple Crown champion in the past as well I think at this point he was running his own promotion which is called War um, and this was uh, this was kind of part of their kind of cross promotional stuff there's no other reason for this match to exist by the way it's really weird and out of place Tenru and Kitao are not known to the audience and in a strange reversal of what usually happens in the roles at this time the Japanese pairing are the baby faces, um, which never used to happen back in early 90s or later or 1980s stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's very odd. But that, that I think the reason why is that they've basically done some cross promotional stuff. And, and Tenru, Tenru is using a number of WWF stars in Japan to sort of um, launch his promotion over there. And this was kind of the flip of that. But it's, I just thought it was a strange matchup. I thought it was odd that they, they even had it. I didn't think it should have been on the WrestleMania cards. I think if they're going to put it anywhere, put it on the pre-show. They did have a dark match, by the way. It was between Coco Beware and the Brooklyn Brawler. Though The funniest bit, I thought, was the bit where basically Smash has, uh, or Crush, sorry, has Kitao in place for... <laughs> for <laughs> the demolition elbow drop for about 20 minutes and he just he just stood there for ages whilst Tenru and and Crush are fighting and he and it's just like are you gonna are you gonna give up are you gonna, and he just he holds it there forever he's just yeah. there for ages and ages it's it is awkward I don't I don't know anything about Koji Kitao but he is not good at all in this match Tenru is easily the best thing about the match but he comes in for the hot tag so he's barely there for any period of time and he gets the win for his team next up we get the build-up for Bossman versus Perfect for the Intercontinental title. So we have a backstage interview by Gene Oakland with the Bossman, where he says, when you hurt my mama's feelings, you hurt mine. Um, meanwhile, Sean Mooney interviews Mr. Perfect and Bobby Heenan. And Heenan then starts to talk about the LAPD uh, in reference, I assume, to the Rodney King incident. Uh, Thomas, let's start with you. Right. I'm going to start with a, with a light-hearted touch about the boss man's promo. First of all, he is an absolute trailblazer because he is leaving the what gaps way before they were even happening. His promo is so weird. It's so fragmented. It's like, it's like, Mr. Perfect, you did something to me and I'm not happy about it. So it's like almost like they can go back and then add the what's from the crowd <laughs> in between it. It's really weird. And also, I'm not going to be around the bush. I got a lot of time for boss man. It's a bit rich of him to be going on about Bobby Heenan sagging off his family, considering what he does to the big show later on. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. um, all that, you know, it's a bit fucking rich for him. Um, but that's, that's it. I don't know if anyone else has got anything on the boss man promo. 
No, my my main thing was that his parental offence taken was a bit rich. Yeah. Also, uh, he, we is at this point where I realised that we've got more than one sergeant on the uh, on this pay per view as well, because Big Boss Man's got three stripes on his uniform, which signifies that of a sergeant in the American police force. Was his was his rank not big? I thought that's what. <laughs> Yeah, so Sergeant Big Boss Man, I'll have you know. So he's not the only one. So technically, Sergeant Slaughter, I don't know if they ever had a program or anything, but he can't boss in our own. Interesting. <laughs> this is a horrible promo from Mr. Perfect and uh, Bobby Heenan. I love Bobby Heenan. He lost a couple of points for me in this, especially, you know, with everything, especially with what's going on at the moment with the police and, you know, everything that's happened with, you know, George Floyd and. And, you know, all of these other people who have lost their lives to police brutality, it sat incredibly poorly with me. And I I really, really didn't like it. And I don't even know. I don't even know what is to gain from that at the time as well. I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how they they could even possibly spin it. It, it, It must have been awful watching it in 1991. And it's even worse watching it through a 2021 lens now. I think if you're doing it in the shadow of the Rodney King incident, then it is bad. It is really bad. I mean, it doesn't. It just doesn't need to be a retrospective. Oh, that's a bit. That's a bit bad. Looking on, looking at it 30 years later. No, it's bad then. It would have been yeah. bad then, given what was happening in the world at the time. It would have been bad. Um, and I think what's worse than uh, they, they don't need to mention it at all. This is the thing. They don't need to mention it at all. But if ever they're going to use it. They can't use it as if the heels are the ones who are on Rodney King's side. They just can't do that. They've got it's got to be the opposite if they're going to even attempt to use it. I don't think they should. And I don't think they ever should go near this stuff ever. I just think they don't need to. Like, it, regardless of let's, let's move away for a second from the taste perspective of it. You're going to piss somebody off no matter which kind of how you portray this. Either you're going to portray it like the, the police are awful people and therefore you're going to annoy some people or you portray it as the police are doing their job and you're going to piss other people off and for me you don't need to do either of those things you aren't a political or a news-based organization just leave it alone like there's no need to piss anybody off here just work the storyline in a different way i mean there's an argument to be said and i did read an article not long ago by somebody about big boss man the character in general and the reason why it's problematic and i will try and find it and, and put it out on our Twitter because I do think it's a really interesting read. So I guess in some ways they've already booked themselves into a corner with using the boss man in the way that they use him. But yeah, just just leave it alone. Just completely just leave it. Before our man goes on to say something, I'm sure which would be very erudite and, uh, and, and well said. <laughs> I also, but luckily for us, it's not. It, luckily, this is the only time they uh, try and sh- <laughs> shoehorn some current affairs into this pay per view. So thankfully, we're all right from that one. <laughs> Well, well, interestingly enough, um, I did at the very start of the show, because Jim Duggan says the name Saddam Hussein at the beginning of the show. And I did think, right, I'm going to take a tally to see how many times they mentioned Saddam Hussein. That's the only time. That's the only time in the entire broadcast they mentioned Saddam Hussein. In fairness, for the rest of the show, they don't really mention the Iraq, the, the Gulf War much. They obviously are basing the main event on it, but they don't mention it, which I think is I think is a relief. Going back to this promo, beyond the fact that it's just completely disrespectful to what's going on like they 
like Heenan even says he's like, oh, and then you like you get someone hiding in the bushes with their camcorder, and it's like, oh, Jesus Christ. What I don't understand is you you've got Mr. Perfect and Bobby Heenan. They don't need this, and this is very much playing it down. But they don't need this cheap heat. They don't need it. Regardless of the fact that it shouldn't be used anyway, why are they using it? Why do they feel the need to use it? And I may be totally offline with this, but like Tom said about Hina losing a couple of points. I'll be honest, he lost a lot of points for me because I get the feeling that he's a guy, especially at this time, that will have held enough sway that if he didn't want to do this, he wouldn't have done it. And I found it a lot to get past. I don't honest. think I don't think he would have even been asked to do anything. I think basically he would have been said, "You need you've got a minute to fill for an interview uh, to hype yeah. up Perfect versus Bossman. Do what you want, basically." Yeah, and it is uh, just very, very horrible, very, very disrespectful, very uncomfortable, very unnecessary. A, unnecessary yeah. is the is the main point I think for me is just, there's no point. There's, you're gonna pit, you're gonna upset some people, you're gonna piss people off, and there's no need for it. Just absolutely yeah. nothing to gain from it whatsoever. Um, which I I'm not saying is not the point. The point is not what they gain from it or don't gain from it. But it's just ultimately, if you are WWE, what is your logic thinking about yeah. putting this on? So then we get yeah. the match, Mr. Perfect versus the Big Boss Man. And because Bobby Heenan is in uh, Mr. Perfect's corner, we get Alfred Hayes joining Gorilla Monsoon for commentary on this one. Um, he's not the final uh, additional commentator for the show. Well, this has been a varied day at the uh, the uh, announcer's table. This one goes for uh, 11 minutes and it ends when Haku and Barbarian interfere in and the barbarian interfere to cause perfect to be disqualified that is after andre the giant has come down also to try and nullify the presence of bobby heenan at ringside uh, uh, uh tom why don't we start with you for this one so i'm going to tell you guys something so I, I remember watching this show shortly after it happened and the there's a bit in it at the beginning of this match where mr perfect's got his towel throws it at the boss man the boss man wipes his ass with it and throws it back <laughs> throws it back at him. When anybody says WrestleMania seven, that is what pings into my head. That specific moment. And it has done since I first watched it in nineteen ninety one. Like it will always be the 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 thing that sticks with me and it always works. I can remember watching it around some friends of my parents' house and they they had a son who was, was who was into wrestling at the time. And I remember absolutely howling with laughter. At that, the six-year-old me could not believe. It's probably seven because it would have come out in video at that point. So the seven-year-old me would have been was howling with laughter watching that because it was so hilarious and witty. It's a magnificent job. Um, then they get into a bit of a slap, and fucking Mr. Perfect sells a slap incredibly, like somersaults because he's been hit so hard. There's a couple of interesting little points in it, right? So there's a bit where Mr. Perfect has got. Um, the big boss man in an abdominal stretch. And it's the first time I've ever seen that move look painful. It looks absolutely <laughs> brutal because big, ba- big boss man has evidently got quite a big abdominal area and he is stretching the shit out of it. And shortly after that, Mr. Perfect makes a little comeback and which Lord Alfred Hayes says, or what sounds like he says, this arsehole, his armory is so good in circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I had to at that point I had to rewind it and watch it several times just to clarify of course and I actually think he says his arsenal but he drops the N 
So he yeah. just says, his asshole is so good in these circumstances. Yeah, and that's, that's about it, really. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, um, the obviously, the, the bit when Andre comes down is amazing. Like, again, we, we've spoken about Andre and the, the, the way that, like, you know, Big Show is someone that you could almost kind of compare to it, but has not been utilised in the same way. Andre still seems like a huge deal, despite the fact that he's not wrestling anymore. Despite they're walking down to the ring, it's taken everything out of him, and he's basically just leaning on the ring apron the entire time. It's still like, holy fuck, it's Andre. Lovely to see him down there sweating through his shirt like he does. This is a lo- lovely old job. Go on, go on, Andre. And then at the end of it, they have a little, little, you know, little high five and a little, little arm rest. And it's like a little bit of it's like a nice, just a nice touch, really. Mm. But you can see how much he's struggling. He doesn't even get in the ring. Like he don't, oh, like yeah. they don't, he doesn't even attempt to get in the ring. Even when Haku and the Barbarian come down and attack uh, Boss Man, Andre waits until one of them or more of them are out of the ring before he gets involved in it. And so you can see he's really he's really struggling at this point. Um, old man. Tom's covered it lovely. One thing I found very confusing, Boss Man just takes his belt off, just starts whipping Mr. Perfect at one point, And it goes on like quite a long time. And the referee just lets it go. Alfred Hayes is not a good commentator. When he's actually calling the action, he's pretty awful as shown by his arsehole <laughs> arsenal um but when he's putting over the talent obviously because of the nature of like what he does as a vaccine injury he's actually very good like, and i actually quite enjoyed it also at the end of the match he says bye yeah bye which i thought was absolutely <laughs> lovely well it felt a bit like they were rushing him off at that point yeah yeah it's they're actually, like oh, fuck off mate he's gonna start talking about greg valentine's arsehole if you keep him on for the next match <laughs> They're just about to start the Earthquake Greg Valentine match, and he's still obviously sat there. And Monsoon rushes through a kind of goodbye to Lord Alvarez, and as he goes, yeah, you see, he goes bye and runs off. <laughs> it really fun. feels like he's being moved on. That's what it feels like. The main oh, thing I enjoyed from this, I, the match is fine. I think it's it's okay. Uh, I I really 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 enjoyed. The little bit with Bossman and Andre in the like aisle way where they have a little chat. And obviously there's a lot said about Andre where you had to really like earn his respect in the backstage and also in the ring. And it feels like he's got a lot of time for the Bossman. I thought when the Bossman raises his hand, I thought that's bloody lovely. It just felt like a really nice thing after the shit that we just seen in in the like interview segment. I thought, ah, that's quite nice. That um, I thought this was way better than I remembered it. So I I remember thinking after the Savage Warrior match, like, oh my god, right? There's nothing else now. There's nothing else for me that I want to see. And I was hoping we'd I'd see something that surprised me. This match was way better than I thought it was going to be. Um, it's not it's not great by any stretch of imagination, but I give it I give it if you were giving it a rating out of ten, I give this a solid six. And that is way better than I thought it was going to be. One thing I will say, Mr. Perfect is in proper oversell mode. So he throws himself all over the place during this match, mm. um, which I think is definitely in a way to his detriment a little bit. I think in, in more than one ways, not just because it detracts a little bit from what he's doing, but obviously he paid for it as well. Like for physically, he obviously paid for this, given what what, what he obviously ended his career not long after this. Well, it's it's so interesting you say that actually because well, there's two two things that I'd like to pick up on. I I did think to myself at the time watching it, like no wonder his back was fucked for WrestleMania uh, for the SummerSlam, the, yeah. the match with Brett that he has later on in the year. And also, um, what you say about it being to his detriment is that is the reason why 
part of the main reason why I dislike Dolph Ziggler so much mm. is because of his constant overselling. And by doing that, you're always making your opponent look better than you are to, to some extent. By overselling and by making your opponent always look a million bucks, it means that by default, if you if they're trying to get someone over, they'll be like, well, we'll put them with you because you can lose and make them look a million bucks. It also makes it harder for anybody else to put anybody over as well. Everybody else has to sell more and bump bigger than they would have to. So, you know, like if you if you've got Dolph Ziggler or in this case, Mr. Perfect on the show and they're doing somersault flips and falling onto their back and goodness knows what else. Anybody else who's trying to put anybody else over has to do something bigger than they would normally do because they've people have already seen this kind of selling so i think it also detracts from other people's well it means that other people have to do more have to put their bodies through more just because you have and so yeah i think uh, i think that it has to be said here that perfect is a little bit it just it just goes over the top and it is definitely to his detriment overall um, one quick note on these two lads obviously uh mr p and big baba boss man they were a tag team in 2002 so they evidently got past their differences and they became friends and then they tagged for what I think from my research, from my very thorough research, was about a fortnight. Well, it probably would have been just before Perfect got sacked for the fl- fl- um, plane flight from hell or whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously passed away not long after that, which is sad. I, like, I know we've touched a lot on death this episode purely because of the nature of 29 people passing away. That was a tough one for me, Mr. Perfect. I'm not quite sure why. I think it reminded me a lot of uh, of when I first got into wrestling. He was obviously there. And yeah, it was just a bit sad, really. OK, so next up, we have a little bit of celebrity spotting. Um, we uh, we go into the crowd and we have got um, Ch- Chuck Norris, first of all, talking about Gorgeous George and Argentina Rocker and Professor Toro Tanaka, who was previously uh, tag team championship partner of Mr. Fuji in the uh, 70s and 80s. Um, we also have Henry Winkler and Lou Ferrino and Donald Trump all together in this sort of celebrity section of the crowd. Just a little bit of a uh, little bit of fluff here with, with some celebrities, old man. Can you imagine being sat there? So you've got the Fonzie Incredible Hulk, Walker, Texas Ranger, and a wanker. And you're sat there, and they're all... F- I mean, like, I, I have nothing against Henry Winkler or Lou Ferrino, really. But I can... Oh, fuck me. You imagine being sat with those... Donald Trump just putting himself over. Chuck Norris just being a bit right-wing. Henry Winkler probably at this stage is still going... Like he's the fucking Fonz. And Lou Ferrino... I'm not convinced he knows what's going on, to be honest. <laughs> it's it's quite an interesting one because Donald Trump continued it right through his presidency of saying words but saying nothing at the same time. He's just saying, the WWF, there's great people, there's some great guys, they're great, doing a great job, and yeah, we did a great, we're having a great time. And then you're like, all right. And then, then Chuck <laughs> Norris rocks up, and you're right, he, he, he's done his own work, at least. Then fucking the Fonz comes out looking at the spitting image of Jean-Franco Zola at that point, which <laughs> <laughs> is very peculiar. It's, it's, I mean, in fairness, like in the in the kind of geek culture heavy world that we live in now, this is probably a pretty legendary segment. You've got Fonz, the Hulk, Chuck Norris and Donald Trump all in one segment i mean that's pretty that's pretty massive i would imagine that if this happened now people would be going mad for it they'd be like that's incredible how'd you get all those people in one place here well it feels very throwaway 
Well, I'm pretty sure at that point, Happy Days the Incre- and The Incredible Hulk and Walker, Texas Ranger had all finished. It would surprise me if those, if these are people who were just past their, their stars starting to dim slightly. Yeah, and that, that is kind of my point, is that it shows the way in which the ebb and flow of what is retro and what is past it sort of seems to move around. Like, as I say, if you took these four very individuals and you said, here's... And you still had Lou Ferrino and, and Chuck Norris and and, um, and Henry Winkler together, people would still be like, wow, it's Fonz and Holt and, and Chuck Norris with Donald Trump. Like, it would still feel massive. Uh, whereas then you're right it probably felt kind of like oh god look at this bunch of washed up stars like it just it just would have a completely different flavor now i think than it did then obviously so with donald trump in particular but the other three yeah i think they'd be a bigger deal now at wrestlemania than they were in wrestlemania 7 who would be the equivalent nowadays do you reckon so i reckon okay so you're talking about people who are famous basically for like one thing in terms of the funds i reckon you could probably put aaron paul who played Jesse in Breaking Bad? I don't know if he's done much since then. I don't know if it's on the same scale. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know Breaking Bad is considered one of the greatest shows of all time, but is it as mainstream and as well as heavily watched as Happy Days was? I don't think so. Let's spend the next 45 minutes thinking about equivalents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let us know at our Twitter, at RWRPodUK. Let us know who the four equivalents of that of that would be. Gordon Ramsay, I reckon, would be the Donald Trump. Interesting. Yes, and I think Lou Ferrino would be Bradley Walsh. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Let's move on. Um, (laughs) So we have next up the match between Earthquake and Greg Valentine. This is a pretty short one, only lasts three minutes. Earthquake wins the match with... I don't know what the name of this this move is, so I call it the bum drop, and um, and that's that's the match. Uh, Tom, any thoughts on the match? More so than the stink face, the bum drop is the move I'd least like to take <laughs> because I think that just you get his sweaty balls in your face, <laughs> then you get the the count afterwards. Um, my main note from this again, it's, there's nothing to say in this, only only the fact that Earthquake, Earthquake's 28, and I didn't ever remember Greg Valentine being a face. Yes, this was just that brief period where he was. To be honest, you couldn't be a heel with that fucking tan, could you? Jesus. I mean, he comes out like a mahogany wardrobe. It's like, what's going on? And I feel like this is so pointless that I have no idea why it's here. Yeah. And I feel like it's a real waste of two people that I quite like. I don't think it's a waste. I just think it's pointless. Like, I don't. Greg Valentine's got no business being anywhere near the show. I'm sorry. Like by this point, Greg Valentine was so far past his best that I just, I, no one needs to see him. No one needs to see him being a baby face. No one needs to see him in this show at all. And he gets a surprising amount of offense in this match. It's only three minutes long and he still manages to get quite a bit of offense in against Earthquake, who, who, who they're still Earthquake. They're still relying on being a, a relatively big monster heel in, in the company this time. So I just thought, yeah completely pointless this, this is where it really smacks of trying to get everyone on the card yeah yeah which yeah. i which we which we can talk about in just a moment because for the <laughs> for, for a minute we're going to take another quick little break and then we'll be back thank you gentlemen with me at this time the immortal hulk hogan hulk just moments ago we heard sergeant slaughter state that after wrestlemania 7 he would still be the world wrestling federation champion and he would still be laughing well you know something mean gene i heard everything that sergeant slaughter had to say out here and he may be laughing now brother but after wrestlemania 7 he sure won't get the last laugh 
And it wasn't a laughing matter, Sergeant Slaughter, when you torched the Hulk Hogan banner, brother. You tried to scorch the dreams of each and every one of my little Hulkamaniacs. And I solemnly swear that will never happen again, Sarge. And as far as your new rules go, brother, all you know is ground warfare, hand-to-hand -hand combat, man. This is new technology. This is the Hulkster of 1991. I'm going to be the new WWF champion. And you underestimated the enemy, brother. You have no idea what kind of secret weapons, what kind of secret battle plans me and my little Hulkamaniacs have in store for you, dude. You know, the question is, Hulk Hogan, are you the same man you were just one week ago? No, Mean Gene. I'm not the same Hulkamaniac I was just one short week ago. Now that I've physically felt what Sergeant Slaughter meant by his new rules. I've done a 360. Wait till I'm in the ring to see what kind of a man I am now, Mean Gene. And as far as you hanging on to the WWF title, Sergeant Slaughter, you'd have to tear Hulk Hogan's and America's heart out to remain the champion. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light, Sergeant Slaughter, that I'll be the new WWF champion, and you'll just be a victim of Twilight's last creeping. Thank you, Hulk Hogan. Let's get back to action. Okay, welcome once again. So we move into the third part of the show. We always thought this would probably be a long episode, and to be honest, it's probably the longest we've done in a good five or six of them, I would have thought. Um, we next get a backstage segment where Sean Mooney interviews the Legion of Doom, where Hawk quips at the end of the promo, when we get done with you, you'll be sour and gory, which is uh, in reference to the fact that they're, re they're facing power and glory in the next contest. Uh, this contest lasts all of a minute and ends when uh, Legion of Doom did the uh, de demolition device on and an animal gets the pin. Uh, on I don't know who Paul Rome I think it is uh, that's how much I cared about this matter I really did not <laughs> really didn't bother with it I was just like this is fucking this is just so throwaway it's unbelievable uh, old man I felt exactly as you have just said that you felt and I felt I felt like Earthquake and Valentine would have done better with this time but um someone else couldn't be bothered either and Warlord like he could have got in to break that pin up. Hercules, sorry, yeah, that's some fucking cunt, some massive cunt. He could have got in and broken up the pin, but he was evidently, you know what, the fans don't want to see this. I want to be sour and gory, which sounds like an anal prolapse. And yeah, yeah, shit, glad it's done. I probably put a little bit more thought into this than you guys have, <laughs> because there's there's um there's the, the Ryback Award for people putting their arms up at the wrong time belong to Power and Glory, because... <laughs> Because when they say their name's Power of Glory, when they says power, Paul Roma puts his shirt up and it says glory on it. And when they say when they say glory, Hercules puts his shirt up and it says power on it. That's lovely. And, that is. And also, I thought when you said someone else could be bothered, I thought you were gonna to touch on this old man. It's Hawk's hair. So he's got his he's got his signature train track train track double mohawks but then it grows into a ponytail and <laughs> yeah. it is genuinely disgusting it is worse than todd puttingale's dead fish mullet it is the, <laughs> that is the worst haircut we've seen so far because it's just and it's not even as if like it's tied up it's flapping around it's disgusting it's horrible I'm so glad you said that. I've, I've completely forgot about that, but I have got what is going on with Hawk's hair in my notes. And you're right, yeah, he's got the two mohawks and they just meet at the back of his head and become a kind of weird overgrown thing at the bar. Oh, you're absolutely right. It's, it's much worse than Todd Pettengill's mullet on the first episode. Yeah. This is the new bar that has been set by Hawk. Yeah. He's now the number one. 
amazing. What astonishes me about that hair, again, I've got a little note and I'm glad that you mentioned it, Tom, because I'd completely forgotten. What's going on in his life that he thinks that's a good idea? Like, what? How? Like, that's that's an effort to grow that. Like, he's taken time. And at no point has he gone, should I get rid of this? Yeah, it's like a tail. It's, a, it's enough to drive you to the source, isn't it? Let's be honest. Well, that's obviously what happened, isn't it? I'm not going to make an apology for that one. Right, moving on. Video <laughs> pa- <laughs> moving on, video package uh, for the build-up to Ted DiBiase and Virgil's match. During There's one bit that, I, that stood out to me during this package. It's all right, but the, the thing that I found most funny was that uh, at one point, DiBiase's wearing his pre-match gear <laughs> that he wears and his shirt falls off <laughs> his shirt front flies off. he's so annoyed his shirt front flies off it's amazing and oh. that's that there's nothing else i've got on this any any anything else anyone's got on the promo video getting the rub down is pretty pretty weird <laughs> it's getting a rub a rub down from virgil i mean it does it does evoke some very strong kind of like kind of yeah. moments about it all but the fact that he's getting a rub down is so perfect. It's so yeah. incredibly heelish and dastardly and weird. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh at it. Well, yeah. And there's also in the video package, I was wondering if either of you would know this. So there's the bit where the million dollar man's having a scrap on superstars and Virgil gets him counted out. So he loses. Do either of you know who the man was that he was fighting? Uh, so I looked at him. I had no clue who he was. Well, it's obviously a jobber. That's why he's so pissed off. Is that he's obviously Bob one of the jobber. <laughs> it's obviously a jobber, but I don't know who it is. I don't know who the jobber is. Um, it'd be nice to have them just to mention his name so he could have looked it up. I don't know who it is. Yeah, that's poor from their promo thing. Not to think that thirty years later someone would be making a podcast about it and they didn't think to say, "Oh, this is Alan." Jones. Well, it's it's poor from them to to do all of that and then not and then expect us to do the 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 heavy yeah. lifting and go and find out who it is because I'm sure there is a way to find out. I just couldn't be bothered before we started recording, quite frankly. Yeah, well, I, I think that maybe they assumed that he'd be such a big star at the stage that you wouldn't yeah. need to go back because you just look back and go, oh, there he is. Makes sense. To be fair, it's not the poorest decision they've made in relation to this presentation of this match. I think the biggest mistake they made is having the match <laughs> in general. So let, let, let's um, yeah, let's just run that down. So obviously they then have their matches seven minutes, only seven minutes in, in length. And, and DBRC. Is it? Yeah. Fucking hell, it felt longer. Virgil, oh. win, Virgil wins by count out when DBRC is fighting with Piper on the outside. Let's start with you, old man. Your thoughts on the match. Okay. I'll go with the finish first. DBRC gets counted out even though he stood on the ring apron. Pathetic, dreadful, but I was so relieved that it was over. So Piper gets his own entrance. They've obviously paired Piper with Virgil to keep Virgil's momentum going, and they've obviously realised that Virgil's fucking awful. The crowd are well into him, to be fair. That's one thing I will say. They are very much with Virgil initially, but older Piper comes down. So part of the promo package is that he's he's hurt his leg or some bollocks. He gets called Long John Piper. By Keenan <laughs> on commentary. <laughs> um, Million Dollar Man is selling for Virgil like there's no tomorrow. Like he is really, really trying to get him over, but it's shit. It's really, really bad. Like I think once 
Virgil starts wrestling, the crowd suddenly realise, oh, we don't want you. We want Piper. Mm. Uh, we want Piper on the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have Piper, please. <laughs> and that is the overbiding memory that I have of this. It's not good. And I felt sad for Ted DiBiase. Thomas, any other, anything else? There's a bit of commentary from Bobby Heenan, which is so unbelievable that it made me laugh. He start, he basically, he does his bit, he goes, he goes, I'll tell you what, you can add Piper's IQ and Virgil's IQ and Ted DiBiase has a higher number. Uh, he's got more, but uh, uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reminiscent of Charlie Nicholas trying to trying to come back to Jeff Stelling. Have you ever seen that, Tinky? Oh, I think so. He goes, uh, he's like, tell you what, Charlie, if you think that's offside, you need to go spec savers and try oh, and yeah. get as well. You you need to go to spec savers because you won't even wear your glasses and you were you were driving home the other day and you were worried that, that someone was gonna slag you off. So so you just uh you, you I'll do the punditry and you <laughs> it was very um, it is amazing seeing how over Virgil is, especially considering you said this ages ago, Tinky. You'll never be a, become a main event superstar in WWE if you can't do punches. And his punches are absolutely disgraceful. They are. They're just <laughs> woeful. You're right, old man. This is the high point of Virgil's career um, because he is rubbish. But he's over. Piper is fucking um, so over as well. His selling of the leg is magnificent yeah. on, the out, on the outside. Um yeah, it's just a bit shit, isn't it? It is just a bit shit, quite frankly. <laughs> that is, you talk about Virgil's punches. Like he has his gimmick is that he is a boxer or a former boxer or can box anyway, and he can't even throw, throw a fucking punch. He's terrible. He's absolutely awful. Um, it is a miracle that someone this limited had a career that spanned like three decades. Um, took in WWF at this sort of commercial peak in the late 80s early 90s took in wcw at its commercial peak during 97 and 98 and he's uh, oh and he's still he's been able to go through all of that stuff it is unbelievable quite frankly that this guy had any kind of a career he's he's dreadful it's like he's never he's like he's never trained quite frankly to be a professional wrestler and what's worse about his punches and i i've failed to mention this during the the match earlier on the big boss man has the best punches in wrestling. Yes. His punches are phenomenal. And unfortunately, Virgil has to follow it using the only offense which he's got, which are his punches, which are terrible. It's just a really, really bad match. The best bit is Piper trying to get up um, off yeah. the floor after um, DiBiossi knocks him down a couple of times because we should mention DiBiossi. Um, Piper has got some, he's on crutches. He's obviously got a bad leg of some kind, uh, or at least he's selling it. And he sells the fact that it's really hard to get up really really well but other than that it's yeah it's not good oh. i i too feel bad for dbrc the thing we forgot to mention as well as at the end of the match sensational sherry comes into the ring in a wedding dress and uh and starts helping uh dbrc beat down old matey boy piper yeah old piper yeah until virgil kind of runs them off and then afterwards virgil grabs a microphone and chat yells at piper to get up in a similar way to piper told him to do and have some pride in himself given his situation with DBRC that existed previous to this. Virgil mm. is fucking awful. That's he it. Yes, I think. <laughs> Fine. Back, backstage, Sean Mooney, Sean Mooney then intru- introduces the build-up to the main event before interviewing Sergeant Slaughter and General Adnan. Sergeant Slaughter suggests that during the match, he might get counted out or disqualified, but that Hogan wouldn't win the title. 
Uh, any thoughts on the backstage promo here? Slaughter's face is incredible. He's just got a great chin. And he he uses his greatest skill and his greatest asset, which is his chin, masterfully in this promo. Uh, he's sweating a lot, a lot, considering he's not even star wrestling. And the main thing that really struck me was how many times he says Hulk Hogan. I didn't count. But if I had, I'm guessing I'd need more fingers than I've got. And I've got the full compliment. And probably more toes than I've got. He says Hulk Hogan so many times that I think he might be fighting Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it's not the first it's not the first time you've asked for more fingers, is it, old man? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, it is it, it's, it's standard. It's nothing special. But but interestingly again, not really very much mention of the whole Gulf War and the conflict and Saddam Hussein and all of that stuff, which is probably partially because the war was over by this point. There was the mm. war had finished about six weeks after this program had begun. Um, and WWF were just kind of like, I don't know, clinging to the coattails of, well, of the peace treaty. It's like they kept the WWE so behind the times they can't even time up a war properly. <laughs> the war has gone. The war has gone for ages. I like the fact that uh, Sergeant Slaughter calls Sean Mooney a piece of human waste. <laughs> uh, I like the promo when it shows the video package in the build-up to the match. That fucking t-shirt lights up quickly, doesn't it? Mm, I thought it that. sets Hogan's t-shirt on fire. Like it must have been soaked in petrol for longer than Richie's underpants. It is honestly, it's he's on there, but just must have been absolutely soaking. It really lights up. Well, the um the fire T-shirt obviously feeds into like sports garments, doesn't it? And how like it was found that football shirts or soccer for our American friends, the like I think it's the acrylic in them or some bollocks, would basically just melt into your skin. So if you like, you'd effectively if you were wearing a Bristol City football shirt, which you would be if you're sensible, <laughs> like it would you if you stood too close to a bonfire. Or even if you dared to bloody use a wok right, and cook some stir fry and a little flame went up, you, it would effectively melt into you and you'd have higher right across your chest and then a I little like robin. The, I like the fact that this is very stir fry specific. <laughs> Any other food, you're fine. But whatever you do, when you're wearing your, your 1993 <laughs> Bristol City shirt, don't ever cook a stir fry because it will end up on your chest. Hey, to be fair, I was raised on that, and I'll bloody die believing that. So uh, I never wear any football shirt when I'm cooking a stir fry. I wanted to go on a Charlie Nicholas uh, style rant about how you shouldn't be wearing a Bristol City shirt, but I couldn't think of anything appropriate, <laughs> so we'll leave it there. Um, so yeah, the next match then comes up, the penultimate match, the Mountie versus Tito Santana. My goodness, this one lasts another minute. Uh, is completely pointless. Uh, I don't even remember how it ended. Jimmy Hart hands uh, a cattle prod to Mountie and he uses it on Santana um, and then pins him. As I say, it lasts a minute. It's a bit of nothing before the main event. Who wants to take this? Anyone? I think the first thing I thought was Old Man will be happy that the Mountie's using the cattle prod. <laughs> that was the only thing. And by the time... Uh, and also, I was also a little bit incredulous at that point by the fact that we didn't hear the Mountie's music. And by the time I finished writing, for the finished writing, what the fuck is going on with the Mounties music? The match was over. The match was over. We yeah. did hear the first, we did hear Mounties music. He was in the ring, and there was a bit of Mounties music playing, but it wasn't the Mountie music where he's singing along. No, exactly. It, and that's, it was, I'm, not, I'm not interested in the other one. <laughs> it was the Canadian kind of not. I don't think it was a national anthem, but it was kind of a Canadian style kind of song with song, a yeah. with a, with a strange orchestral kind of feel to it, which. 
I don't know how to articulate this, but it's the Canadian-sounding orchestra that is in his theme music. I can't. That's the only way I can. Um, that's the only way I can describe it. After the match, because I'm moving on, I have nothing to say about it. We have a backstage interview by Gene Oakland with Hulk Hogan, which during this interview will show more build-up to the Slaughter uh, Hogan match with Sergeant Slaughter and General Adnan attacking Hulk Hogan, during which. Pat Patterson appears wearing a lovely bright blue shirt with white trainers. I don't know if you noticed that, but uh, yeah. I found that very, very interesting. Um, and yeah, and he, it's a relatively straightforward Hogan promo. Old man, any thoughts? Well, so the video package has General Adnan taunting Hogan with the title, which is upside down, which <laughs> like just these little things. The main thing, because this is the Hogan promo we've heard a million times, is at the end. Hogan poses, right? And he makes two incredible noises. That he is, it's like, and it's obviously noises he must make from the effort of posing. And Mean Gene is clearly really caught off guard by them. So he does a real quick, like, a quick turn to Hogan. And Hogan's ripped off his T-shirt at this point, and he seems to find another one. Because by the time he comes down to the ring, he's got a T-shirt on. Um, yeah, I mean, this is peak Hogan. He does say, I think, oh no, the commentators, I think, allude to the fact that Hogan has said during this that if he wins the match, that the Iraqi people will immediately surrender, which I think, even by how much Hogan evidently thinks of himself, is probably a bit much. Yeah, also, they had done. I mean, the, the, Ameri- the Iraqi yeah. government, at least, had already done by this point, some some weeks before. So it's not much of a boast, quite frankly. Do you think that it was the threat of Hogan beating Sergeant Slaughter? They were like, we can't fucking have this. Who knows, mate? Maybe. Well, he keeps he hates Sergeant Slaughter, evidently. Keeps calling him brother. And <laughs> <laughs> at one point... He goes on about new technology, where he's talking about, oh, I've got the new technology to beat Sergeant Slaughter. Yes. I'm like, what's, what's he got? Is he coming down in a robot? Or is he, do you know, <laughs> you know, got like, I don't know, like, what's going on? I, what do you mean, new technology? It's never explained. I think the less about this is explained, the better. The three ho- co-hosts of WrestleMania then are introduced to the crowd. Regis Philbin, Marlon, Marla Maples and Alex Trebek come out to the ring. Um, Trebek takes guest ring announcer duties. Uh, Marla Maples is on guest timekeeper duties and Regis Philbin sits down with Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon to join them for commentary. Um, the WWF title match between Slaughter and Hogan lasts 20 minutes and ends when Hulk Hogan hits a big boot, then the leg drop for the pin and becomes the new champion. Tom, let's start with you, since I start with Old Man for the other big match of the night. So let's start with you. First start, Marla's bell ringing has got left something to be desired. <laughs> you can tell she's not a professional bell ringer because it was not very good. This match was was really weird. First start, um, it's an odd Hogan match because he's in the ascendancy for a lot of it, yeah. which is really unusual for a Hogan match. You're not used to seeing that. So you get to see him actually do some kind of offense that you don't usually get to see him do. He goes up to the top rope at one point. Admittedly, he gets thrown off in the classic Rick's, Rick Flair spot. But, yeah, he, he, he does a lot of moves that you don't really see him do very often. He does, like, a couple of suplexes, I think, in it, and stuff you don't really necessarily associate with Hogan. Sergeant Slaughter hits Hogan with a jacket-covered chair, which is quite a nice touch. <laughs> um, so they obviously haven't got the jacket off the chair in time. Um, but it was, it was quite good. I mean, the crowd are really into it, despite the fact that Sergeant Slaughter was rubbish and the war's over. As you said, um, and they go mad for the for the you know the classic Hogan comeback 
you know, and, and big boot and leg drop, you know, kind of win at the end. I don't really know what to say about this match, to be perfectly honest, other than, other than what I've already said, because it's your kind of standard fair Hulk Hogan main event, but slightly different. Yeah, he, that jacket covered chair shot is about the weakest chair shot in the history of the world. <laughs> It's absolutely dreadful and made worse by the fact that the jacket's on there to cushion the blow even further. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I take your point. Old man. It's long and it's not very good, really. But it's intriguing because of what Tom's just said in that it's kind of a flip on the on the normal Hogan trope. Um, there's a lovely bit at the, uh, at the start where Sergeant Slaughter complains about a hair pull and Gorilla Monsoon says, Slaughter complained about a hair pull. He doesn't have any hair to pull. Which I obviously I took a bit personally, but I was like, you know what? For a joke, you can have that. Well, also it's very hypocritical because nor does Monsoon or Hogan for that. Matter. Uh, that's a good so point. That, so that none of no one's got any hair for anybody to pull. Yeah. Oh, oh, Hogan's still got that little bit in the back, and you can grab onto if you need to, if in an emergency, you know, in case of emergency, break glass or pull back <laughs> of Hogan's hair. <laughs> the rules are not enforced as Hogan matches aren't there's chair shots, there's choking, there's no count outs. The rules are an absolute nonsense. Um there is a bit where Hogan is in the in the Boston Crab. I must say not a Rick Martel style Boston Crab. It's not it's not Slaughter's best work. Well actually to be fair, based on this match it probably is. But um he's got a minute. Hogan is literally, I reckon half an inch from the ropes yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah but Bixie's a pro he stays in the hold for about three minutes and then grabs the ropes and he's sod also on that point um Regis Philbin is like just exposing the whole deal because he's like why yeah. didn't he just grab the ropes why didn't he just grab <laughs> the ropes he says it about seven times yeah <laughs> well at least Regis knows the, at least he knows what he's coming yeah, into I suppose again, pro- yeah. like you said earlier professional um there's a bit where Slaughter does a top rope stomp type thing to the back of Hogan and uh he just wipes sweat and flicks it off onto Earl Hebner, which I thought was a lovely heel touch. And then it's kind of done, like Hogan tears a flag to pieces, which I just think is completely unnecessary at one point. And yeah, it's all right. And then Slaughter does this, some of that we've touched upon previously. Slaughter does the thing where after the three count, he then kicks out. And so like, what are you doing? What are you doing, Sarge? I realise that Slaughter is one letter more than laughter. I've got to believe that that was a thing that he was told to do, that kick mm. out. Because I think that they wanted to extend the Hogan Slaughter stuff for a little while longer. They obviously main event SummerSlam with Hogan Warrior versus uh, Slaughter, General Adnan and Colonel mm. Mustafa. And I can only imagine they thought, well, this is the only way to keep him relatively strong is to have him kick yeah. out straight after the free count i can that's the only th- explanation i've got for that this is where i really struggle with the show because you're right different pattern than a normal hulk hogan match he gets a really long baby face shine period at the beginning of this match and slaughter i think does really well during this match he throws himself around as much as he can you gotta remember like i think the toils of age back in the old days just were much more difficult to overcome than they are now. And Slaughter is 43 by this point. He's been wrestling for about 20 years. So he's well towards the end of his career. Um, And I've seen quite a few Sergeant Slaughter matches from the late 70s, early 80s. He is better than most of the other wrestlers around at that period. Certainly around uh, better than most of the big heel guys around at that period. And here he's just quite old, but he still does his best to to give Hogan, put Hogan over. They have the rare sight of Hogan 
busted open, which again I think was a, a way to sort of cover for some of the deficiency in the the quality of this match because it was never going to be great. And I just think that also I thought the the bit where you were talking about Iran about the the things they were doing that were the referee allowed to slide. I think this is where there was something that they did quite clever during this whole show, which was. Earlier on, we talked about the backstage promo that Charge and Slaughter and General Adnan cut. And I mentioned the fact that Slaughter says he might get counted out or disqualified so that Hogan wouldn't win the championship. I think the idea was the referee has been more lenient because he knew that that was the case. And I think that the commentator should have done a better job of tying that in because that would have made a lot more sense to me. It just didn't. It just did. They just didn't really cover it. Um, so, yeah. And, and look, I, I kind of want to be fair here because... I think this is not as good in terms of what they actually do as a match we slated on this show a few weeks back, Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman. I think what Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman did in their match was better than what's here, except the only difference is in that match, the fans didn't care. In this match, the fans Mm. absolutely care. It's a really good example of where actually you take something that on face value isn't as good but then add the the reaction and the fact that people care about it and it is in my mind it's about as good as that match as a consequence um it's it's fine it's what it's not it's exactly why i found this match a chore because i knew this was what comes at the end of it and i i'm not a big fan of it but it wasn't bad it was what it was and uh, there's not a lot more I can say about it, to be honest. A quick note on the crowd. I'm pretty sure they're still celebrating now. Like, they are uh, uh, the finished. They're going up. So when, when Hogan whips out Old Glory, which isn't a euphemism, oh, my, <laughs> word, my word, they are gagging for some Old Glory in and around their mouth. I, I love the fact that throughout the match, um, Bobby Eden starts promoting this party that he's going to be having on Tuesday <laughs> night on, on NBC. Um, in Las Vegas, <laughs> he keeps coming on about it, and there's a bit where um he's like he keeps asking Regis if he can come to the party, and he's like, no, I don't think I can make it, but uh, Kathy Lee might be available, <laughs> and Bobby Union goes, no, no, we're sold out. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the fu- there is a funny thing about this actually, because Slaughter, um, sorry, Bobby Heenan has to kind of I don't know balance his support for Slaughter with almost the suggestion that he's not patriotic, and at one point Regis mm, yeah. calls him out on it and says, oh, is this guy for slaughter I, you know i can't believe this guy's for slaughter and, and bobby has to kind of make an excuse for why he doesn't like hogan as opposed to liking sergeant slaughter it's a weird with balance yes the strike i don't it's, it's kind of odd um but yeah that's that's pretty much everything on this show so i guess it's time for match of the night uh rating out of 10 let's start with you old man your summary it's a show of moments isn't it i think so you get obviously the finish with Hogan waving his own glory about and then you've got Savage and Elizabeth and the ultimate beanbag and yeah I feel like it's this show I think accomplishes exactly what it wanted to in that you've got the the reunion of Savage and Elizabeth and you've got Hogan stood at the end I think the rest of it is kind of filler to be honest and I think that that is very much felt as you watch the show kind of through it's a it's a five out of ten for me i think and that's probably purely on the strength of the savage and warrior experience sorry savage and beanbag experience (laughs) and i won't watch it again which i think anybody who's watched it will kind of understand but i'm glad i watched it because i got to almost have a little cry which was nice (laughs) 
everyone likes a little cry now and again yeah uh, thomas very similar to what old man said really um Macho King versus Warriors, the match of the night for me, especially including, as you said, taking not necessarily just the match, but the overall storyline and the and the way it comes to quite a satisfying conclusion. It's probably a five with me as well, I think, probably a five. Um, but for me, it will always be the towel getting wiped on the ass pay-per-view for me, <laughs> and that's what it will always be. So it only gets a five even though it's got, even though that is the abiding memory. No, I'm giving it a six, actually. I'm going to give it a six. <laughs> Uh, I'm on a five out of ten. I've been I'm in an iron about whether to go five or six on this um, because I don't want to be harsh. The problem for me with this is that, first of all, as I say, every other show before I've either not remembered everything that's going to happen on the show or not known everything that's going to happen on the show. This one, I did both of those things. I knew and remembered everything that was going to be on the show. And also, it doesn't have the same nostalgia for me that it does maybe for other people because I didn't watch wrestling in 1991 I wasn't watching it back then the Hogan period for me is not my favorite time I don't like Hogan particularly even as a even taking the context of his personal life away I don't like the character I don't find it engages me very much and so and this is this is Hogan era it's about Hogan and win him winning the world championship but overall there's a good there's a there's some good matches I think that the opening match is good I think the second tag team match with the hearts against um, the nasty boys is good the warrior savage match is really good I was surprised by how much I enjoyed perfect versus boss man how much I enjoyed David Boy Smith versus the warlord and the main event's fine I think the problem here is that it's 45 minutes too long if you removed Earthquake versus Greg Valentine. If you removed, I don't know, um, Dino Bravo against this te- Texas Tornado, you remove the Legion of Doom against Power and Glory, and you remove the Mountie versus Tito Santana, no one would have been upset apart from those wrestlers, maybe. And you'd have had a much better overall show with every match at least meaning something. Whereas there are so there are just four in that in just in those four, all meaningless matches, completely meaningless, in, and no, no reason to have them. It's really funny what like. Like the way you've described it, then thinking and what you said, old man, about it being like a, a a thing of moments. I was just thinking back to the 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 perfect um, boss man match and the Andre appearance, and it's massive in that moment, but then it's completely forgotten about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't until you brought it back up then that I remembered that Andre had made an appearance. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It's there's just t- there's too much. I mean, looking at our running order, taking you know into account, we've got the our reminders to plug the social media accounts and the game. We're, we're talking at 42. Yeah. We haven't gone over 20, I don't think, in any of them so far. So there's just too much on this pay per view, and it's the same with WrestleMania six, isn't it? WrestleMania six has got an enormous amount of short matches as well. It is a thing we're going to constantly come up against again and again and again when we review wrestlemania shows is that there's too much on them and it comes back to the desire for wwf to have everybody on the show basically that's on the roster my problem with that is the reason they want everybody on the show is they they claim they want everyone to have a wrestlemania uh, payoff which fine if that's truly the reason that's great but how about instead of doing that you just pay these people better and you give them better working conditions like i don't i don't need to see everybody on the wrestlemania card in fact i think it's wrong to put everybody on the wrestlemania card there are at least seven or seven or eight acts on here that don't belong on the wrestlemania card at this point in their career um so they shouldn't be on there just pay them better and then we're all happy um or chuck them in a battle royal or chuck them in a battle royal that happens before the show so yeah it's not in the bottom tier of wrestlemanias it's not in the one two four nine eleven and 
27 tier of WrestleManias, but it is it is the next level up for me in terms of quality of WrestleManias. And that's largely because there's too much. The main event's not great. And there's really only one standout match. There are two or three others that are, are decent and pretty good, but but really there's only one that, that really will live long in the memory. Are you talking about uh, Tito Santana and the Mountain? Of course, of course I am. Yeah. Oh, and my match, my match tonight, obviously, is also the Warrior versus Savage. Needless, needless to say. Is that the first time we've all come to the same consensus on the same match? Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Might be. Might just be. So we move on and onwards and upwards, I suppose, because it's uh, now time for the game. And uh, I believe this week, uh, old man, you are our host. It's myself against Tom. Old man, what have you got in store for us? Something struck me when I was watching this pay-per-view. I was like, no women. There's no females involved in a match. So I thought, you know what? You know what will be a good subject for the game? WWE Women's Champions. Now, the period we are talking is September the 15th, 1998 to May the 11th, 2010. So this was before it went... uh, I think it was before it went to be the Divas title. I think. I don't know, to be honest. But yeah, it's that period. If you're getting outside that period, you're out. I'll give you, this is a tough one, to be fair, because uh, I mean, I'd get all 21, but there are 21 in total. There are a couple that I don't think anyone will get, but I'm excited to see. So we will go with Tinky first. Okay. Um, Sable. Correct. Uh, Go with Trish. Correct. Seven-time winner. Um, Lita. Lita, four-time winner. Uh, China. China, correct. Just the one. One at WrestleMania 17. X7, if you will. Uh, Ivory. Ivory. More like gold, because she won it three times. <laughs> uh, Victoria. Correct. Oh, Maybe Victoria, because she won it twice. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Mickey James. Mickey James. More like Mickey James, five time champion. <laughs> wow. That was incredible. <laughs> um, Stephanie McMahon. More like Steph Wani McMahon, because oh, she won it once. You really have to stop now. <laughs> no, I've committed now. Uh, Jacqueline. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. More like. If we were in France, Jack Dublin, because she's won it twice. Uh, oh, Molly Holly. So good they named her twice, because it's Molly, Molly, Holly, Holly. She won it twice. Oh, this is this is quite tough now. Uh, it is. Melina. Mathrina. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, Tori Wilson. I'm afraid not, Tommy. Oh, hey. I'm uh, afraid not. Tory Wilson. See what we got then. So I I had some other guesses. I've got the cat. I believe yeah. did briefly hold it. Um, Gail Kim. I think did have it once. Yes. Um, Maurice. Hang on a sec. Hang on. Where's Gail Kim? There we go. Maurice is negative. Oh really? Yeah, you were just a bit early. She Classic. must have won the Divas. What about Jazz as well? I think. One yeah, oh, Jazz. Has. Oh, so I wrote Jazz as well, but I crossed it down. Crossed it down. <laughs> and what about what about Candy Sewing? Candy uh, Sewing. Michelle. Can- Candy Sewing's the right wing political commentator. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and Michelle Owen is a 
sports broadcaster who's a Bristol City fan. So a big, big shout out to Michelle Owen. So Candice Michelle is a yes. Michelle McCall is a yes. The ones that are missing are the fabulous Moolah. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Uh, Beth Phoenix. Beth <laughs> Phoenix. Uh, the last champion, Layla. Oh, yeah. And then there is Deborah McMichael. Well, or Deborah Austin, as she was at the time. And then we have one which I did not even know was a thing. I know it. I know it. Hervina. Hervina. Yeah. Yeah. Harvey Wimpleman in a dress. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I, I did wonder if Santino Morella would have been in there because he, it's the sort of thing that he would have done. But again, probably would have been the Divas title. Yeah. I, I'll be honest, boys. I'm impressed because I don't know that I would have got as many as you boys got together. So give yourselves a hand job. <laughs> It's it's hard to it's hard to think of to try to remember when that title ends and the divas title begins. It's really yeah. difficult to get that crossover. So I wouldn't have thought, for example, that Beth Phoenix would have won the women's championship. I think of her as being a bit later. And I think of her as being later than Maurice, but it, yeah, it's really yeah. it's really complicated to figure out. So good stuff, yeah, lovely. Um, well, yeah, thanks, well done, boys. Thanks for that, old man. Thanks very much. Oh, no, no problem. It was it was quite easy to be honest. I just said some stuff and came up with some. Well, I think the viewer will agree. A magnificent plays on words. And thank you, listeners, for for staying with us for this length of time. If you want to kind of um, continue to stay with us, you can do over at RWR Pod UK on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, we are completely available, and we are currently in the midst of a humongous. Uh, World Cup of WrestleMania matches, which will go all the way to WrestleMania night itself. So uh, um, follow us along for all of that stuff. Um, Old man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much, Tinky. Remember, Kempatera. (laughs) That's going to get me every time, I can guarantee you. (laughs) Thomas, thank you for your uh, contributions as well. Uh, Thank you very much. I, I enjoyed that very much. Good stuff. And we will be back again next week for more WrestleMania goodness. But until then, take care.